We live in dark and painful times, no doubt. But you don't need us to regale you with a litany. A quick scan of the news or your local grocery store is usually enough to do the trick. Avoiding despondency in this hellscape requires either an iron spine, a willful blind eye, an evil soul, or mental retardation. We don't shy away from discussing the worst of it all on this show, but we also try our best to emphasize the best. Just this past week, for example, on the small and personal scale, one of our favorite couples welcomed their first child, hopefully the first of many. One of our best guys was released from prison just in time to spend Thanksgiving with his wife and son. The fundraiser for one of our own blew past its goal. And another one of our favorite couples is at baby DEFCON 2 awaiting the arrival of their second child. And that's just a small sample. And in the big picture, Israel is taking L's in Gaza and in global opinion just as fast as they're stacking the bodies of Palestinian children. The fissures and the foundation of the evil empire of the American left are expanding as the kids learn to heed Nancy Reagan's old mantra to just say no to Zionism and Jewish lies. The world's wealthiest and most industrious man, Elon Musk, is again at least signal boosting the truth, and so is arguably the most influential American right-wing commentator in Tucker Carlson. And accordingly, so are the scum-sucking, gatekeeping, clickbait shills from Charlie Kirk to Jack Posobiec to Juden Peter Stein and Alex Jones, who are forced to do the same lest they lose any remaining credibility with their increasingly radicalized by reality audience. In that spirit, and for this Thanksgiving week episode, we bring you a heartbreaking and heartwarming tale of medical pain and suffering, the hunt for a great white donor, a full house Hail Mary that scored a righteous touchdown, and a mostly happy ending that's still unfolding. So, Mr. Producer, hit it. You got an organ going there. No wonder the sound has so much body. Welcome, everyone, to Full House, the world's realest show for white fathers, aspiring ones, and the whole biofam. It is episode 172, and I am your recently rejuvenated host, Coach Finstock. I've been on and off sick for over a month, truth be told, back with another two hours of genuine sincerity. That bumper was Organ Donor by DJ Shadow, a longtime favorite track of mine that was just waiting for the perfect excuse to be played on this show. Before we meet the birth panel and our very special guests, however, huge thanks to Charles, Theo, and Rusty for their generous support of Full House this week. If you'd like to be like those lords of largesse, please go to givesendgo.com slash fullhouse or full-house.com and the support us tab. And with all that, let's get on with the show. 
First up, if you love this episode, all thanks to him. And if you hate this episode, all shame to him. Sam, thanks so much for setting this up. <laughs> thanks, Coach. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's a great story. I'm glad to have these guys on. These guys are friends. These guys are brothers. And I, I think uh, the listeners will really appreciate it. Uh, it certainly is a great time to be a white nationalist with a lot of great things you can point to. I was just on a vetting call this week and um, vetting a very fine man uh, in our area. And uh, he was saying that one of the things he really wanted was to be able to get in touch with other serious guys and, and families and have have good uh, contact with people and good positive events and and so that was when we asked him, hey, do you have questions? He says, will I be able to get involved with things, you know, in the area? Do you guys have outings and things? And sure. uh, I was kind of holding back because this was a vetting call, you know. And uh, But what I wanted to say to him is, uh, my goodness, uh, three weekends ago, we had a gigantic bash for one of our ladies turning 40 years old. And then uh, last weekend, we had um, our men's group had a had a a wonderful outing out in the wilds of Iowa and uh, for a weekend, which was great. And then this weekend we were celebrating a couple birthdays with a bunch of us went out to a log cabin, all white nationalists. And uh, I mean, if you, <laughs> and next week there's a concert. So, I mean, you could spend all your time doing this if you wanted to. So uh, it's, it's definitely a great time because there's so many things you can get involved in. And so if any listeners are not involved please get involved. And if you say, well, I am involved, but there's not much in my area. Well, then start making things happen in your area. Oh yeah. And any Johnny come lately, just, just start up an active club, you and a buddy, right? I'm, I'm mostly <laughs> joking there, but it's like, that. there's so many options, you know, back oh, in yeah. my day, back in my day, it was like, well, there's Patriot front, there's the pool parties, there's the matter. Yeah. There are like three or four things. And now there's a, a whole oh, bevy yeah. of options. You could argue that maybe, uh, more too many is too much or something like that, but, or more the merrier, you know, let a thousand flowers blossom, that sort of thing. Well, you can be involved if, if you want to be in a white nationalist uh, outing every single weekend, you just about can do it. Absolutely. Thanks again, Sam, for setting this up. Whenever anybody gives me guff about not doing the show, I'm like, well, if somebody else would like to produce a show or come up with the concept, you know, have at it by all means. But <laughs> this week, right. thank you, thank you again. All right, next up, forget the, forget the migraines. This week, he's got delirium tremens that are just right now starting to recede as he recovers from major withdrawal without full house for the past two weeks. Rolo, my friend, welcome back. Uh, has it been two weeks? I haven't noticed. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> hey, no, uh, we, we, we were going to go last weekend despite my grids. Uh, but our special, very special guest who's still going to come on, uh, was out of town. So, you know, <clears throat> I, I would have gone. I would have gone. Yeah. Okay. Uh, real quick before we get on with our very uh, special guests, uh, what's up with you? Well, you know, I'm just, uh, I got, I got, uh, something I really, really want to get off my chest. I'm <sighs> not happy about that, but, uh, okay. I think everyone is going to be, uh, much happier after I vent. All right. Uh, probably second half venting, but if, if you really got to go for it in the first, no, uh, no, minute. I can wait. I can All wait. Right. 
All right, little teaser for the second half. Maybe we'll paywall it. Just kidding. Well, this one will probably. He's waited two weeks. Yeah. So yeah, Cant- Cantwell's like, uh, are you fellas gonna paywall any other content there? <laughs> no, he actually didn't say anything like that. But I'm feeling guilty. We'll have to do a special, and uh, yeah, encourage some more signups there. All right, enough. Let's move on again. Our first special guest this week. He's been a proud German chauvinist, skinhead music aficionado, and white nationalist ass kicker for decades. But the Red Laces perhaps collected a little bit of dust up in the closet after one of his kidneys crapped out on him within the past few years. But he is newly fixed up and on the mend. German Mike, welcome to Full House. Thank you. Uh, honored to have you. Uh, it was an honor to meet you at my first ever skinhead show, probably got a year and a half ago. Uh, remember you clear as day there. And uh, we're still going to put you through the works here, the rigor, the ringer, your ethnicity, religion, and fatherhood status, please, Mike. <clears throat> well, number one, I'm first generation German. I was baptized Lutheran. And my marital status is separated. All right. And you do have uh, a good number of kids, right? Four. Three girls and a boy. Good score. And when you say first generation, that means both your parents immigrated from Germany, I presume. My father's grandparents immigrated from Germany, and then my mother was sent here after World War II. No kidding. And they were not uh, Jewish emigres. Is that right, Mike? No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Sam smile. I, I, you know, I, <laughs> I got to like rib the, rib the guests just a little bit. Um, all right. And, uh, Let's go on to our next guest, and we'll come right back to you, Mike. Uh, okay. We don't we don't know if his Zoomer fro perm seeped into his brain to make him crazier than a loon, or if he's just one of the most admirable and courageous young listeners in the entire Full House audience, willing to go under the knife to help a total stranger in the spirit of our cause. And despite his fondness for the bestial electronic subgenre called drum and bass, we are damn proud to welcome on Robert. How are you, pal? <laughs> Doing good, coach. I appreciate you having me on and everything. Um, what can I say? I just got that dog in me. You know, um, drum and bass is good genre music, and <laughs> we can talk about that later a little more if you like. But um, I do appreciate you having me on. You bet. Yeah, I, I had a very bad experience with a turn of the uh, century, as, as it were, but we'll get into that later. And uh, Robert, yourself, ethnicity, religion, and fatherhood status, please. Uh, well, I am a Anglo-Saxon, uh, eth- eth- ethnically. Um, as far as religion goes, um, trying to be Christian. Uh, I've talked with Sam about it before. Um, it's just sort of a long journey, I believe, to really try to become like Christ-like. And uh, as far as fatherhood status goes, I'm a uh, single Pringle. Uh, I have no children of my own yet, uh, <laughs> but I hope eventually I'll get to, uh, you know, maybe 10 plus someday. Good stuff. Yeah. Yes. With that attitude. I've never heard single Pringle before these kids uh, with the <laughs> lingo. When you say real quick, Robert, that you're trying to find Christianity or find your way there. Is that just because you were raised irreligiously? Lack of. Yeah, so my parents, uh, they never really made religion an important part of our lives. Um, whenever I was growing up, you know, I kind of grew up like in a middle class, like white, like vanilla household. So they were mostly just kind of focused on work and other such things, but they weren't really very uh, spiritual people. 
you know, in all honesty. So I was kind of left sure. on my own to try to find that stuff. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit later too, because the kids have start, uh, more daughter has been asking, so what are we dad? And of course I give her the long explanation. Well, I was raised this, but you know, the, the whole thing. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll save that for later. Um, we're going to come back to you, Robert, but first I want to go back to Mike and bef- before we do the, the health saga and the sort of full house Hail Mary that was miraculously answered and ultimately unnecessary, uh, I think it's fair to say that you've lived a long and fascinating life. Um, were you a, a white nationalist from, from childhood, Mike, or how did you find your way into our scene and, and what was it like back then, I guess? Well, I pretty much spent all my summers every year going to Germany for the whole summer. So that's all I heard from my grandfather and all those guys, because my grandfather was a, a Gebirgsjäger mountain troops. Okay. And he was fighting in the mountains, and then he got sent into the Russian front. And were they uh, national socialist loyalists to the end? Were they, you know, a hundred percent pro, you know, it was a disaster that they lost all the time. That's they, all I ever uh, heard from my grandparents all the time. My okay. mother was a young Frau, which was like the German girl scouts. And my uncle was a Hitler youth. Sure. And do you know uh, why or under what circumstances they came to America? Well, after the war, there was nothing left because they totally just took out all of Germany. So my parents, my grandparents, <clears throat> found out there was a program that if you had a relative that lived in the United States that they would send you. So my mom had a great aunt that lived here in Chicago, so they sent her here. But right before my mom passed away in 2016, she had told me that she wished she had never came here, and my mom was always a German citizen to the day she died. She never Mm -hmm. took United States citizenship or nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm familiar with other immigrants who came here in the 70s and later in life realized, oh man, this thing really went off the rails. And, you know, hindsight's 2020, but perhaps we should have stayed in the old country. Um, so you're growing up with the right instruction and the heritage and the faith in your heritage. You speak German fluently. Uh, yes. R- roughly, roughly what decade or I, I, did you come into the scene through skinhead music, the same as Sam? And when, when was that? Well, I started out as a long haired rocker, you know, listening to Motorhead and that kind of stuff. Sure. Then I kind of went into the punk rock scene for about a half year skateboarding. And then I was bouncing at a club down in a city that was like a punk rock new wave place i was a bouncer there and then there was a lot of skinhead guys hanging around there that i worked with and then like 85 that's when i decided to shave my head and get my first parries and a paradox <laughs> good stuff uh let's go over to robert to robert roughly how old you are how old are you? Excuse me. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, you're good. Uh, I'm in my early 20s right now, so I'm still a pretty young chicken, I would say. But you know, I'm deep enough in there to sort of understand uh, 
how the world works, you know, not like a spurgy kid, I suppose. <laughs> and, uh, you know, back in the day, of course, it was, you know, music or newsletters. Sam's told us about the old, you know, get, but Sam would get faxes. No, uh, Sam would sign up for newsletters and call in to hear recordings. Uh, let me guess you were on, was it the chance that first woke you up? <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's actually pretty accurate. Yeah. It was I around know the, that, yeah. 2016. Yeah. It was the, uh, the great four Chan that got me into things a little bit. Good stuff. And how'd you find us just out of curiosity? Oh yeah. Well, um, I actually, I didn't find you guys until I was about maybe three or four years into white nationalist politics. Um, at first I kind of thought that I was just like an isolated incident. Um, I didn't really think that like white nationalist politics existed outside of the internet for some reason. Right. Um, you know, that the media really doesn't expose you to half of the stuff that happens out there in our spheres. Um, and one day I was just kind of at work and, uh, I remember I was scrolling on a 4chan looking for like podcasts that were approved for white nationalists. And I saw a full house was one of them. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to check these guys out, you know? And it was very early on, you know, you guys still had jail one at the time. And, sure. uh, I remember I loved the show so much, like the family oriented content was my bag. So Good stuff. Um, even as a, even as a young twenties guy, that, that that's cool to hear. And I swear, I really I have never posted on 4chan. So if anybody's endorsing Full House on there, it's probably Rolo. Uh, no, but <clears throat> that's uh, pro bono volunteerism from our guys. Glad to have you with us. Thank you. Uh, means the world. Yeah. Somebody once disparaged us as, oh, ha half your audience is uh, you know unmarried, single, no kids. I was like, yeah. Uh, what's the problem? <laughs> that's that's part of our mission statement is to entertain and enlighten those guys and get them excited for the big game. Um, let's get down to brass tacks. Uh, probably a year ago, I want to say roughly uh, Sam put out what I thought was more than a hail Mary sort of pie in the sky announcement that one of our friends uh, needed a kidney. And if there was anybody in the audience who would possibly consider donating that it would be going to a great guy and a worthy cause. And our pal Robert, to my great surprise, answered the call. I talked about this on the show a little bit for those who maybe didn't hear it, that I was like, first I thought maybe this was like a troll, somebody trying to get personal information. Then I thought it's just some kid who's like says, Oh yeah, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll donate. And then would get cold feet later, but it went all the way. Uh, Mike, not to delve too much, but what happened with the old kidney or you were, you were suffering for years, whatever you're comfortable sharing about the, the health background, please. Okay. Well, in 2016, um, I'm a union tradesman, a sheet metal worker, and I was working at Midway Airport up on the scissor lifts, hanging ductwork down the terminals. And I kept getting dizzy and almost feeling like I was going to pass out. My partner's like brought me down off the lift. And then my foreman came by. I said, what's going on, Mike? I'm like, I don't know, dude. I have no idea. I feel, I just feel like I got to keep laying down and pass out. So he called the office. They said for me to take a week off. And I went to the doctor. And the doctor said I had 3% left in both kidneys. And he wanted me to start dialysis like a month later. And I'm like, dude, I got to go to Germany. I got to see my family because I knew once that started, I'll probably never make it back to visit. So I hopped a plane like in May and I lost myself. I didn't come back. My wife had to come back in October to find me. 
because I was just abroad all over Europe visiting friends and seeing as many people as I could see. And not getting any treatment. Did you, I mean, did you think you were on your way out and that was your last hurrah? Two more weeks, I would have passed away. And you said something about 3% blocked or was it 3% kidney function? I Uh, I only had 3%. Basically, you have two kidneys, so each one was at 3% left. So I only had 6% of kidney function left. So I was already in stage four renal failure. And when so uh, you got back to the states, and did they have to start dialysis immediately, and or or that, whenever that was, and what's involved with that? Yep. Yeah, that Monday morning, went to my doctor, and he's like, "You're crazy, man." He's like, "Look, you look, you're yellow. You have so much jond on, and uh, just foreign stuff in your body that's not supposed to be there. Poison." Mm-hmm. And he sent me right to the emergency room. They put me in a room and I had to have four transfusions that night. And then they started me on dialysis the next morning. And uh, what is dialysis exactly? You're not getting a blood transfusion every time. Are they filtering your blood through a machine? Yeah, they basically stick two needles in your arm and it pumps it out, it cleans it, and then puts it back in. And I used to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday from 5 in the morning till 9.30 in the morning. So basically four hours, three days a week. Yeah, that's tough. And you were undergoing dialysis for how long, roughly? From 2016 to March, because I got the new kidney April 12th. And you're on a donor waiting list that entire time? Yes, they kept kicking me up, putting me on, and I'm watching all the other people that are doing dialysis, getting a new kidney, and... I'm just like, why aren't I? Why aren't I getting one? There's all like black people. I had a lot of blacks and a lot of Oriental at my place and Muslim, and they all got new kidneys way before I even left. I was like, man, I'm the only one stuck here still. So you you think you were actually put at the back of the line because of your race? Not that. I think it's more about the insurance. Mm. I mean, my. Ins- they were charging my insurance $6,000 a day for treatment. Right. And I assume you weren't able to go, go back to work once you had to start the dialysis? No. I had uh, couldn't work anymore. Had to go on disability, Sorry, which is bro. nothing. Because I was a union tradesman. I mean, I made 6000 a, a month. And now I'm only getting like 1500 $1,600 a month. Right. So it's a major life change. Sorry to hear it. Glad you're still with us. Uh, so you're in dire straits, waiting, waiting, waiting. And yes. Sam, God bless him, floats this well, thing. Yep, go ahead, Sam. We, yep, we, we got, you know, I've been knowing Mike now. This is maybe two and a half, three years ago. We've been knowing Mike and we just got to talking and stuff. And Mike is Hey, you know, could you say something on the show? You never know. Like, it's not just about the kidney. Maybe somebody knows of a program or something. It's kind of hard to look somebody in the eye and say, hey, can I have your kidney? But (laughs) who knows? You put put something out there. Maybe somebody, yeah, you know, put it out out there. Maybe somebody, go ahead. It's true. My kids, none of my kids even were willing to donate. Yeah. So you don't know. I mean, maybe somebody knows of a program or something. That was my thought, like, because different universities, sometimes you get into some something that where they can help. you. So we put it out there and then 
what a surprise. Go ahead. I won't spoil it. <laughs> I, I was telling my family about the show uh, before I ev evicted them from the kitchen so I could have my prime recording spot despite the damn internet going out. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was like, what? Really? Yeah. He was willing to give up his kidney. That's great. And then my daughter's like, what's a kidney? <laughs> what, what does it do? Yeah. They're like, we're, we're, we're not doing that. I don't know what it is, but well, it sounds and then scary. It, yeah. In those early days, we, we were feeling out Robert there and saying, okay, well, you know, we, we went back and forth talking just to see if he was for real, you know, and then at some point we, I put him in touch with Mike and I said, hey, I got to step out of this. This is like too emotional for me to even, <laughs> you know, be hanging on a thread about. So they, sure. they, they talked, they worked it out and, and uh, they, they started taking the steps, you know, to get qualified to do it and all that. So I'll let them go ahead and continue uh to tell the story. I felt the same way, Sam. I was like, ooh, it was like holding like a very fragile crystal or something. Like, I don't want yeah. to, to, to drop this or screw it up. Uh, and yeah. the thought also occurs, Sam, that, you know, you could have mentioned this on show one and got the show rolling a lot earlier. Uh, but instead, <laughs> you went <laughs> you waited until episode 125 or whatever that was. Yeah. All right. Uh, Robert, uh, I was, you don't really have a Zoomer fro, although you probably could if you went into the salon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's got a mop up there. But it's not curly, ladies. Yeah, it doesn't shave it. <laughs> shave it. Yeah, <laughs> I I oh, take it a kidney kidney from no zoomer fro. Uh, serious serious question, Robert. I mean, I'm still smiling through the microphone and kind of surprised. Maybe this is all still an elaborate cold feet at the end. But what was going through your head uh, at the time to make you respond? You e I remember you emailing in and saying you guys were helpful to me, and now I feel like a true national socialist would step up to the plate here. Whatever you want to share from that thought process. Yeah, coach. So um, at the time, you know, I, I had gotten involved with uh, my local like pool party organization and everything. And, you know, I had been uh, pretty well established for about a year or two. Um, whenever this, uh, this call was made for a, uh, organ transplant, the thing is at the time, uh, you know, I was kind of struggling in my personal life with some things and, you know, I felt like I just wasn't doing enough. So I sort of started at that time going through a little bit of like a spiritual journey and trying to establish myself in the world as like an actual person that would make a difference somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the thing is really, you know, it's just sort of popped up and it was the sort of thing where it was like, hey, you know, I've been looking for something for a long time now and this is a perfect opportunity for me to try to prove my salt a little bit, you know. And um, whenever yeah. you guys made the call for it, I decided I would, you know, get back with you and um, see what I can do, you know. It was a little scary at first, so you know I'm not going to lie. You know, yeah, I believe yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, did, did you did you research? You know, life with one kidney or what was involved and in all that, and you still didn't get oh, spooked. Yeah. So the the whole thing is, whenever you go through like the uh, donation process with a the kidney, um, they do multiple multiple like uh, psychiatric examinations. They do all sorts of like uh, screening on you. They do. Um, a lot of uh, teaching to make sure that you're well informed of the risk involved with the process and the rewards that are associated with it. Uh, the rewards are obviously just like, oh, ooh, you feel good about yourself. You know, you did something cool. <laughs> but um, the the thing is, like, before you go through any sort of donation process, there's hours and hours of content that you have to go through yeah. um, where you have to learn about, like, all the intricacies of how it works, especially with how young I was. I was right. getting phone calls from the uh, 
lady that I was talking with that was my donor facilitator. And she was talking to me like, hey, you know, like you're a young guy and everything. Um, we're not exactly sure how this would work out for you. It should be okay. But if you're having any sort of second thoughts, just let us know and we can cut it off right. at any time, you know? So, um, giving yeah, you the exit if you wanted it, yeah, but you didn't, you didn't oh, yeah. take it. Yeah. How, how far did you go in the process? I, you know, I think the spoiler is out there that eventually some other donor, I don't know if it was a, you know, a car crash victim or a living one that Mike <clears> got hooked <throat> up with, but how, how far did you get before Mike got the alternative kidney? Uh, so basically like once I started doing, I, I think I remember, it was the same week that I had done my first uh, blood test to see if I was like, like medically cleared to like, make any sort of organ donation. Yeah. Yep. Um, it was within that week is whenever I got the news from Mike that he would be getting a, a, a new donation. So yep. I went through like the schooling and everything for it. I did like the examinations uh, as far as like your mental health goes and all like the information stuff. But as far as clinical things, um, I really only got through one blood test before we got the great news of our, of our homeboy, Mike over here getting his new <laughs> kidney, you know? Yeah. And, and I imagine you were quite relieved. Let's be honest. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Were you disappointed? Bit, you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. You really bit. wanted to be the kidney donor for the rest of your you life. You know, but the, the thing, the thing is, I think that it was the, that pushing this process that shook something loose on Mike's mm -hmm. end, you know? So it it really was maybe it really yeah. all worked out, you know. It like worked out miraculously. So, Mike, uh, did they? Do you think they gave you a uh, basketball American's kidney just to mess with you, or <laughs> back in the the local synagogue? Do, do you know? know. How I mean, <laughs> lately I've been wanting to eat watermelon and bagels. I don't know why. <laughs> so, you got no, a I'm you very... got a kidney from Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> there you no. go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm very grateful for what he did and all the effort because I got my facilitator called me all the time, said he needs to do this, he needs to do that. And I would always text him and say, You got this number, that number, blah, blah, blah. But uh, April 12th, I got a call and I thought it was a joke. And the lady's like, No. She's called me at like five in the afternoon. She's like, We have a gentleman that's in his mid early 40s had a massive stroke to where his brain went dead and his kidney was being donated. And he, there's three other people besides you that might be a match. And then she said, she wouldn't give me exact where he's from, but she said it was in a Southern. So I'm assuming I knocked it out to either Tennessee or Kentucky is where he came from. Because I kept mentioning towns because I'm like, oh, I got a friend that lives in Florida that just passed away in Tennessee. And I was wondering if maybe my friend Dave, you know, from the Florida guys. Right. And then I found out it wasn't. But Sam, there's the only problem is I regret. There. Yeah. Go ahead, please. I kind of regret that I should have maybe waited longer and not jumped on it. I mean, you got, you got to realize eight years, that's a struggle. I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. I can't travel. Nothing. Yeah, I mean, ask Sam. I barely ever came out. I couldn't get around or do nothing. It was tough. It was tough. Sometimes it was we would, uh, sometimes we would arrange a ride for him and stuff. You know, just to make sure he he knew he was not forgotten. But uh, yeah, it was tough. But he did. You did sneak off to Germany. <laughs> I had to go for the two weeks because my 
Of course, Nate and Eric were playing over there in Germany for a couple weeks. And then I found out that Enstupe was playing, which is Jens, one of my favorite bands from Germany. And then there's another good band of mine from Stuttgart that played too. Because when we're standing there and Nate's like, oh, man, I love these guys. And then the, the singer comes off the stage and he looks at me. He's like, Mike? I'm like, hey, Stefan. And then Nate's like, you know you know these guys? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I grew up. I, I was like, these are my buddies from like the early 90s. So you hopped over there, Mike, oh. before, before you got the transplant or right after? Before I got the transplant. That was last October. But I wound up paying almost 3,000 euros just for treatment. And I got a bill in the mail the other day from the dialysis center saying that I still owed them a thousand euro, <laughs> but Son of a gun, I'm never going to send that. Let them come find me here. You can tell them to so, pound yeah, so the, in the original German. Yeah. <laughs> the problem was that this kidney was not a living donor kidney. It was a deceased kidney donor. So my body is taking it a lot harder. I'm still not at a hundred percent with my kidney. I've been fighting yeah. my blood, my uh, blo- red blood cells are, I'm fighting really bad. Right. I have to take two, two shots a week just to try to keep it up enough. That's why I kept passing out and falling down all the time because I was so weak. Yeah, and- Mike, Mike went through uh, quite a recovery. He's, the recovery was probably as hard as anything he had to do. In, uh, Three months. You know, they yeah. tell you in the kidney classes, oh, you'll get the new kidney. We'll be done in four hours. We'll do a four-inch incision on your side of your uh, belt line, and then three days you'll be, you know, cut loose to go home. I was there three months. I guess we they found out that I had an irregular valve in my heart. My blood's not pumping properly. And then I'm still fighting a fluid game because now I have to drink like two liters a day. Right. So now the problem is my ankles and my legs are like swelling up from all the fluid and I'm getting a lot of fluid in my lungs lately. So I got an inhaler now. I got to inhale every day. Not out of the woods yet. You do not no. look puffy. You don't, you don't look puffy on, on camera. If that makes it, Mike's like, I don't give a damn. But no, yeah, I've lost. Yeah, I he's lost. One, 274 I went in and I came, I went to the doctor last week. I was 225. All right. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So they gave you. The, they gave you. I the went good from two X. I went from two X to like XL sweatpants now. <laughs> that's that's one way to lose weight. Um, I wanted to say, Sam, it's absolutely not crazy to think that. Yep, by Robert being willing to get on the list, it sort of shook the system a little bit or bumped him yeah. off the priority list. Like, hey, this guy is still on the list. Hey, here's somebody coming out of the woodwork. Not crazy at all to do that. And it also makes me think about the process of organ donation. Seriously, uh, the yeah. most recent time I went to get my license renewed, I uh, just without thought said, no, I do not want to be an organ donor if I die because of the cynical properly cynical approach that so many of us take to the system that, you know, there's organ harvesting operations and what, what if I'm not actually dead and they decide, Oh, this guy's brain or whatever is useful to somebody else. Uh, Mike, I suppose you would suggest to our guys that they should be organ donors. Fair to say. I think you should be an organ donor, but to our own people. And there's probably not, well, yeah, you'd have to be a willing, alive one to do that as opposed to after you're 
There's a lot of stuff you got to go through. I've had to see psychiatrists like four or five times to clear me. All kinds of doctors. Just never ending. It was nonstop. Go, go, go. And I pushed them. I called every week. And the my nurse coordinator is like, are you calling again? I'm like, yeah, dude, what's going on with the kidney? I want a kidney. I'm, I'm ready. You told me to lose weight. I lost weight. I'm in shape. I'm ready to go. I'm cleared by all these doctors you needed me to be cleared by. I took all these yeah. tests and everything you guys wanted. It's all done. I'm ready. What's going on? I mean, it was very frustrating. I'm still stressed out from it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here with us. And I have to think that, uh, Robert, you really opened up a can of moral hazard there, because if there's any <laughs> other Full House listeners out there who need a kidney, uh, <laughs> they, they know where to, who to come asking for. Settle to the plate, boys. Come on. At least you can do is donate. Kind of. Right? I kind of wish I would have waited to see if Robert did match, because I would have loved to have had Robert's kidney. But Damn. I think I was just so desperate in the moment. And the lady calls me back <laughs> up at midnight and says, are you ready? I'm like, what do you mean am I ready? Is this yeah. a test or a practice or what? She's like, no, all the other three didn't match, and you're a perfect match with this donor. It's happening. You got an hour to yeah. get to the hospital. I was like, get out of here. Robert's She's like, got okay, the I'll tell you what kidneys. to pack. <laughs> Oh. The finest, the finest of Anglo-Saxon <laughs> kidneys, right? One I'm glass of milk, and white, you would have been able to do anything. I'm hoping it was a white person, but I'll never know, probably. That's all right. Point, yeah. I don't care. Uh, we, we, when I got all my uh, ACL repairs, yeah, the kids, or not the kids wouldn't joke at that time, but my buddies were, hey, coach, you're jumping a little higher there. Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> no idea. But, 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 I, but I did, I, yeah, I did get a card in the mail from you know the system the donation system because i got a cadaver acl at least twice maybe three times whatever uh and it was like you know this person's tendon is now in your body if you would like to send a thank you note to his survivors uh here's you know you can do it anonymously through this thing and i never did actually it was kind of the disturbing i was like i, I, don't, I don't know what to say maybe i should have um, serious question, Robert, what's the consequence of donating a kidney for the audience that may be put in this situation? This happens to families, you know, where like, you know, it's like dad's needs a kidney and junior might have to step up to the plate. Uh, I assume you did your homework on what life with one would be like. Yeah. So, um, believe it or not, uh, the way it works is, you know, once you donate a kidney, both your kidneys are capable of working at two times the amount that they really need to work to keep your body sustained. So whenever you donate one, uh, theoretically, one kidney is more than fine to live with. Uh, I believe that most kidney donors actually don't really have a whole lot of problems. Um, if you do donate a kidney, uh, you're not able to make any other organ donations, I don't believe, for the rest of your life. So it's off the table to make any sort of other like, donations. One and done, off the hook, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. One's enough. But uh, yeah, um, for the most part, like if, you know, if you know someone that's in need that uh, needs an organ or a kidney, honestly, the health risk is relatively low. Uh, obviously, like it is a major surgery. So there's always going to be risk involved with that. Um, you need to be in fairly decent shape if you're going to do it, you know, that way you don't die on the operating table or anything. Um, but really, uh, the hospitals can tell you that, um, if you want to donate a kidney, they're not able to really say that you'll be hundred percent fine. Right. Cause it's sort of a liability thing. But, um, in most cases, uh, it's actually not that bad to live on without it. Um, there's a couple of other like small things that you have to live with. 
Um, I believe there might be like a couple of dietary restrictions or like uh, medical treatments that you can't get if you mm-hmm. donate a kidney. Um, but it's all really like relatively small stuff. Jokes aside, brother, uh, so sincerely <laughs> proud and impressed by you. Uh, go ahead, please. Go ahead. Coach, should I consider donating one of my testicles? <laughs> you got, yeah. I mean, I hear that you're, you know, one of yours could function at uh, four, you know, four times the rate. That's right. You know, just, yeah. Uh, That's <laughs> right. I, 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 I can think of a couple guys who might, might need a little. Uh, <clears throat> well, Sam, yeah. you have five. Oh, there so he is. Donating <laughs> one is not. That <laughs> leaves me with four. Yeah. Like the, the total recall woman. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Robert, a little more uh, from you because you certainly earned it. Uh, our enemies, of course, like to describe white nationalism, national socialism, etc., as these violent, life-destroying spirals. They, you know, the, uh, nor- normal kids with their lives uh, ahead of them, you know, all of a sudden become jackboot-wearing terrorists. Uh, you. I believe in your email gave us a little bit of credit or the cause credit, national socialism credit for taking you from, if I recall correctly, you know, an overweight shut in to getting involved, being healthier, being more confident, et cetera. Is that fair? Is that true? Uh, A little bit about what may have been a transformation for you. Yeah, coach. So um, really, I mean, I think that most like right-wing circles that you get into are just genuinely decent people. Um, that being said, I think that there are rabbit holes that you can fall down as a young man, right? Sure. I mean, we do see like these videos of these like guys that are going out in public, like throwing Romans and like doing stuff. Uh, I think there was a group recently at Disneyland that did some stuff like that. Just bad optics things that really make other people look kind of bad. But um, in all honesty, like most of the bigger networks that are out there. Uh, within our spheres are full of good people. They go out of their way to make sure that they get people that are of decent character. And they really try to uh, make sure that their vetting standards are good enough to where they don't get people that are even degenerates. You know, they don't want people that have like heavy uh, drug use, you know, they have bad mental problems. Um, They want to keep everyone relatively safe and healthy, you know? Sure. And uh, yeah. And, and that, and getting involved, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but did it, you know, how, or how did it change you if at all? Oh yeah, no. Yeah, of course. So like the way, so the way it first worked, uh, is you whenever, don't have to put yourself down. Yeah. I was a fat version. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, I, I started on an episode of my 600 pound life. Right. Um, no, but uh, no, when I, when I first started out, um, you know, I got in touch with some guys and, you know, it's like any other sort of social thing, right? Where whenever you first get involved with any sort of group of people that you don't know, um, you're going to be a little bit awkward and you're not going to be completely open. But honestly, like you form really tight relationships with our guys really quickly. You know, I think that the quality of man that is involved with our circles um, speaks a lot to like the sort of relationships you can form. And over time, you know, I started meeting people that we're really good with stuff like nutrition and fitness and most people in our uh, causes, they care for your genuine well being. You know, they're not trying to sell you products. Most of them aren't. Um, they're not, you know, <laughs> they're, not, they're, uh, they're not trying to um, give you like bad information. They're acting out of goodwill and character. And, you know, if you talk to some guys, 
they can really offer a lot of wisdom, especially if you're a younger man, you know, um, I can't really speak for the younger women in the audiences, but yeah. um, I know that obviously most of our circles are sort of like male oriented. Um, I think that's just the nature of like politics in general, yep. but uh, really like once I got involved with the guys in my local network, um, I, within the span of probably three years, learned more about being like an actual man than I did most of my life, honestly. Yeah. You know, um, unfortunately, there's a really bad problem with parenting these days. Um, there's a lot of fathers that don't really know how to be great fathers. They don't know how to teach their kid how to be masculine. And whenever you go out to um, find that elsewhere, you got to just kind of hope and pray that you wind up with a bunch of racist friends, I guess. You know, it's the best way to go <laughs> for that sort of stuff. One more question before we go back to German Mike, who has put on his Knight's Cross cap, uh, real wartime hours. Uh, oh. Did you did you talk to your parents about what you were thinking, or was this a rogue mission? Uh, in terms of not oh. in terms of the ideology, but about donating a kidney. Oh, I didn't tell anyone about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Okay. I do not. Yeah, I don't like telling people about that sort of thing. Um, you know, I didn't want to be like, oh, look at me, Mr. Altruistic. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not sure. that's not really my kind of thing. There was probably uh, like two people in my life that knew about it. And uh, that was really about it. Those are just people that kind of had to know. But yeah, no, I I'm not a big fan of that kind of stuff. My esteem for you grows. <clears throat> Don't get cocky now, Junior. Uh, German Mike, <laughs> yes. you've got you've got stories out the ass. Pardon my French. Uh You've you've spent significant time <laughs> in Germany. You've been to some of the holy sites. You've got some relics. Uh, you've been to Nuremberg. You've been to Braunau on um in. Uh, what do you what do you want to? The, the mic is yours, big guy. What do you want to talk about? Where haven't I been? <laughs> <laughs> well, have you been to the Berghof in Berchtesgaden, for example? I yes. don't know if you've been there. All right. I have a bottle of I have a <laughs> bottle of Berkdus Garden beer in a basement in my bar from the brewery. Ah, damn. Was it uh, was it depressing to be there or were you filled with a little magic? We were bunker hunting and tunnel hunting. Me and my buddy that's also a military collector. All right. Uh how about Nuremberg? You went to the stadium, the old rally grounds. I have a skinhead friend, Ilona, that lives in Firth, which is about 15 minutes from Nuremberg. Uh -huh. And then I have a good friend of mine, Tweety, the gu guitarist from one of the old bands from the old days. And he lives also right in that area, too. From what you've seen in Germany or in Europe, uh, I'll go back to the sort of Twitter heydays, and I remember a lot of Euro guys I've I've never interacted in Europe with WNs, but my travel there predated my involvement. Um, do you have more hope for Europe now than America? The, the point being, back then I heard a lot of Euro guys. This is, you know, Trump was going to be the savior of the West, etc. It's all you no. know, if, the, if if America falls or yeah, wh how are you looking at Western civilization? I guess or uh, every America. time I talk to my friends in Germany, they're like, oh, well, I get my. So they get paid like by the month. You don't get a check every week or every two weeks. Right. You get a check once a month and it automatically goes into your bank account. And 50% of that comes out of that check for national taxes and for immigration. 
So you have all these long, young immigrants that are coming there. They get free housing, free car, free cell phone, free health insurance, free money. Free dialysis. And all, yep. and <laughs> all that. And they just walk around and do nothing. Yep. It's so you're saying young, that uh, the, the Germans, Syrian you know. Ones. They're sticking Ger- people. They're raping girls. Uh, and the Germans, you know, want to get the hell out of there. All my friends hate it there. They don't want to be there anymore. They're like, why do you even want to come visit, Mike? I'm like, because it's my heritage, man. Right. Would you possibly narrate uh, some choice Hitler speech uh, excerpts for us for the show at, uh, after, <laughs> after the fact in the original? Yeah. You think you could do that? <laughs> no. That's, that's um, those days in the 30s and 40s was, was Hochdeutsch which is high German. Right. It's kind of different now. I mean, I, I, huh. where I come from, I come from the South by Bavaria, uh-huh. Baden-Württemberg, Stuttgart. And we, we speak Schwäbisch, a Schwäbisch Deutsch. And whenever I'm up North visiting friends up in the Northern part, Berlin, Dresden area, Rostock, mm-hmm. they always laugh because they're like, Oh, Mike's speaking this Schwäbisch Deutsch. And actually, Schwäbisch Deutsch is a uh, hillbilly Fancy German. pants? Oh, it's hillbilly. Oh, so you're the hill. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'm speaking hillbilly German. Oh, it's kind of funny. I, I thought you were going to be the yeah the fancy pants with the old school German through your uh, grandparents no. and parents. No. Uh, that, so that, basically, that, yeah. go ahead. So basically, I would get out of school, like the end of June, public school, Chicago public school. And then my mom was like, oh, you want to go to Germany? I'm like, what do you think? So I'd be on a plane. They'd be putting me on a Lufthansa with the stewardess, and I'd be on my way to Germany. And then by my yourself. Co- yeah. yeah, by myself. My cousin and grandma would pick me up at the airport, and then I would stay at my grandma's until, like, the end of August. So basically three months. And then in, this, in, like, August, everyone, most companies shut down in the end of August, so the whole family – can go on vacation together for six weeks. So my cousins and uncle and aunt, they would go down to Spain, uh, south of Valencia on the Mediterranean Ocean, and they would rent like a bungalow house for the whole month. And I would always, I would go with them because that's like when I was 16, I spent my 16th birthday down there on the beach getting drunk, drinking sangria with my uncles, (laughs) you know. And then when I got older, I... (laughs) I worked HVAC, heating and air conditioning, so I was always slow in, like, March, April. So Mm -hmm. I would either, in March or April, I would go for a month every year until I got married. I never really got into the politics here in the States. There were, like, just a lot of groups, but they were getting infiltrated, and, you know. I met Clark. Sam knows who I'm talking about. That was the old cash Chicago area skinheads. I think I met Clark in... 84, 85, and we were talking a little bit, and then he's like, wanted me to join the crew. I'm like, sorry, dude, but I'm leaving for Germany, like, and next week. That was in 86, and I stayed there for two years, lived at my cousin's house. Then all those guys went to prison right after that. Then I I found (laughs) out all those guys went to prison, and I wound up working with the. I wound up hooking up with the 28 guys, Blood and Honor, and I became a patched Blood and Honor member in like 80, between 86 and 87. 
So Jeez. my main focus was always Germany. It was like I didn't pay attention to nothing here or people here or nothing. I just kind of stayed out of it because it was here it was all backstabbing, talking shit. Right. And the unity with the guys there is a lot different than here. There's a yeah, lot more nationalists, sure. not a lot more national women too than here. Here you go to a concert, maybe four skinhead girls and like 150 skinhead guys. Oh, Total there you got skinhead girls, regular <laughs> girls, and they're all nationalists, you know. A little different over there. Do you think that right. Amer do you think American white nationalists, Mike, should give more credence and respect to Hitler and national socialism? Or do you think it's uh, it's just too alien to our culture? This debate sprung up the other day. I saw it, and I, I said, I kind of understand get, the arguments. That yeah, go ahead. I can't get people to understand. I'm a Nazi because that's my heritage, and that's what I grew up. That's what my family fought and did. And then for people here to say they're a Nazi, I'm like, well, how are you a Nazi? You're not even German, or your family didn't fight in the war for Hitler. So I just I just leave that be, you know. Yeah. And and I'm German, but even if I weren't German, I like to think that I would still have the deep reverence and respect for what they achieved and what they almost pulled off. Um, Robert, you you mentioned optics there before uh, you're an Anglo-Saxon. Uh, did you have the, the standard infatuation with Hitler and the videos and the clips and the glory years? And uh, still, still love and respect, or not so much, not so helpful. Different time, different place. Yeah, I mean, obviously the the National Socialist Party in Germany was something to be admired, right? I mean, it's something that gets a lot of people into our circles. I mean, it's the biggest meme that we have, right? You know, like all the, the Hitler stuff. But um, I mean, the truth of it is, is that we're Americans. You know, um, I think that although we should have reverences for the movements of the past. Um, we have to understand that the situation that we have now, although it has its parallels, it is not quite the same. You know, we're not the same country. Um, we have some German influence in America. Uh, a lot of us are not German. So um, as much as I love those people and what they've done um, as an American, I think that if you want to progress any sort of movement in America, you need to appeal to classic American sentiments. You know, um, there's a lot of great stuff that, we've done in our own country. Uh, the founding fathers, in my opinion, were really rock solid guys. You know, they're great men who had a really good uh, vision for basically what was like a white ethno state. And um, I think that if you want to appeal to people in our movement and you want to um, sort of spread the message a little bit more, you have to use American optics, you know, and it's not just a tool to be used for like some sort of disingenuous message. Um, you need to mean it. You know, we are American and we need to be proud of it. I mean, white America yeah. has great culture. We did a whole show on it. I forget the episode title. We should have named it Nazis in Paris instead of niggas in Paris. <laughs> <Jay -Z>. so, <laughs> um, but, but, you know, it was basically what's with what's what's with the Nazi thing, guys, because I've heard that so many times, you know, uh, mm. you'd be a lot more relatable if you didn't have that Hitler fetish, you know, and uh, I forget if I you know distilled it perfectly in that show. But the answer is that was the last time that 
a white people coalesce, came together to address the root of the problem, the Jewish problem, not the Jewish question, as I've been so helpfully reminded uh, from so many people. It's not the JQ anymore, coach. It's the JP. Uh, but it was, the, it was the last time in recent memory or, of course, in, you know, within the past century that it really turned things from Weimar to Wunderland. And it worked. And the temptation, of course, is not just the cool uh, optics and the marches and the torches and the effects, but to say, well, that worked. Why not just try to do that again? And I know that there's arguments to not do that in the presentation, et cetera. But taking a broken, bankrupt, degenerate, invaded, corrupted country and turning it around almost on a dime. I, I dug up an old post that I uh, made probably a year ago in the span of six months from January, 1933 to about July, 1933, the scope of change in Germany was breathtaking. So you may disagree with reverence for the third Reich, uh, but there's a reason for it and you can modify it. You can change it. You can Americanize it or whatever, but the spirit and the results uh, speak for themselves. Sorry to get up on my soapbox there for a second. Uh, Sam, is there you want to uh spur mike for anything we're almost at an hour here so i don't want to go too long but uh, over to you for a second as long as you oh want. man <laughs> yeah uh i didn't have anything off the top of my head except to say uh mike's favorite band Instufa, is uh, a band that will be familiar to uh especially uh older persons uh, shall we say and and um Mike is a couple years ahead of me, but uh, we're kind of of the same vintage. And Enstufa is a band that is playing yet today and putting out music. And and uh, so they're they're guys that are maybe a few years older than both of us. But uh, as we draw closer to the hour, um, when Mike uh, introduces them, yep. I thought I'd give that little bit of extra background right there. Yeah, Jens, the singer, is 57. He's the same age as me. Okay. Uh, Looking forward to hearing from them. I did not cheat and go to listen to the song. Mike totally has the DJ booth for the break, and Robert's got it for the close. Heaven help us if it's one of those do 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 drama bass stare things. Uh, but before, <laughs> but before we go. <laughs> We'll talk about that. We'll, talk, we'll, have some, we'll have a little bit of electronic aspergery in the second half. Uh, but before we do that, Robert, what is your favorite childhood memory, please, sir? First thing that comes to mind. You know, Coach, it's crazy. Uh, I thought about you asking me that question for a while before I came <laughs> oh, on the show. You were ready. Yeah. Usually, I'm yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, what am I going to say to him? Um, I, I, I'm in for I you, too. Say- Mike, we're stalling for you, Mike. So you got, you, I, I'm sure you got some good ones. So think about it while Robert's uh, ready to go here. I don't know. It was a long time ago, Mike. <laughs> fire, fire bombing, I think. Something about fire bombing. <laughs> no, that's, a, that's a long time ago, too. Mike is not 57. He was actually there at Crystal Knocked, actually. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I'm really, I don't fit with <laughs> I um, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say that when I was younger, um, some of my fondest memories that I had was going to a small rural property that my grandparents had. And during the wintertime, uh, where I'm at, we get a pretty good amount of snow, not like a ton of it, but we still get enough to have fun. And 
what we used to do is we used to get the family together and uh, nigger rig a bunch of like snowboards to four wheelers <laughs> and drag the kids along in a huge track on the snow, right? <laughs> Going like, like 15, 20 miles an hour on, on these uh, four wheelers. Water and, skiing uh, on snow. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It was a great time. I used to love that stuff. Um, it was really, it was really good. I think playing in the snow is probably one of the, the best pastimes during the winter. There you go. Good stuff. Yeah, I have so many fond memories. My uh, half Irish, half Polish grandparents had a cabin up on top of a mountain in Pennsylvania that the whole family or part of the family would go to a fair, you know, once a year, maybe twice a year. And uh, that was actually sort of a subconscious motivator for the place where I live now, because I remember being a kid. And my and those grandparents were both basically public sector employees. I was like, man, they're so rich. They have a regular house and then they have a vacation house. You know, it was a one-story, one-bedroom, maybe cabin in the woods, but so many fond memories from that too. Thank you, Robert. All right. Uh German Mike, a lifetime and many trips to Germany in the bag. What's your favorite childhood memory, please? Going to Germany. All right, come on more specific than that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I would say having the whole summer, three months to yourself, do whatever you want to do, and no one to tell you what to do. I mean, I was drinking Jägermeister at 12 and smoking cigarettes <laughs> down, down, at the, down at the soccer field with my cousins at, in the evening. Mike's libertarian German childhood. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> My friends, when I go to visit, I used to put my hands on my head and do Jägermeister, Jägermeister, like the <laughs> antlers. Oh, my God. And when I, whenever I go to Germany, they still do that. Oh, look, Mike from America. It's like 40 years later, and my friends are still doing it. It's kind of hilarious. That was yeah, one of my childhood memories that made me laugh still. Amen. All right, gentlemen. Well, uh, th thank you for that. Uh, Mike, you game to play too? Huh? Hang on. Are you game to play too? Hang on for the second hour? Yeah. You got enough gas in the tank. All right. And uh, Robert, how about you? Look, I just had a glass of milk before I came on, so I'm feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling like a million bucks. I'm ready to rock. Robert yeah. is, sit is sitting on the floor in his bathroom like a... Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> he's he's not a regular podcaster. He doesn't have a table and chair like you know the rest of us. He's you know, modest means. So I'm kidding, buddy. Thank you. All right, let's do it. Uh, German Mike. Well, thank you both. We'll we'll stroke you further in the second hour. Uh, but German Mike, the DJ booth is yours. Sam teased it up a little bit, but what are we listening to? And uh, briefly, why? Um, I'm probably gonna say Anstupe because that's like one of my favorite bands. I. Most of the mid-80s, early 80 bands I liked the most because that's right, what I and, grew up with. And which song? Soldat. Soldier. All right, fam. Haven't heard it, but it's going out there for sure. Hope you enjoy Soldat by Enstup. We'll be right back with German Mike, Robert, and, of course, Sam and Rolo. Don't go anywhere.
House episode 172 organ donor edition happy ending uh version of full house not in any of that that let's get the sick thoughts out of it. happy ending means happy ending it doesn't mean that yeah uh sorry maybe my mind is in the gutter excuse me uh but we are delighted to have both german mike and young robert <laughs> robert the bruce robert the brave on with us as well sam and rollo we got a lot to cover here in the second half kind of try to fly more casually than the interview style from the first half but before we get into all of that we've got a couple big ones from close friends this week on new white life and just in general new white good news uh first up to our pal kyle to his lovely wife and their newly growing expanded family congratulations guys they welcome their first healthy baby uh child we'll just say (laughs) Uh, he kept us posted, sent us some pics, uh, from the special moment in the hospital and, uh, everybody's chiming in, giving them congratulations. Now you got it publicly way to go guys. 
young, healthy, keep at it, you know, within reason, all that stuff. And, uh, Sam, good. Yeah. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna meet the, the lovely new addition, uh, before I will too. So, yep. Yep. Excited for them. And, uh, we have another wonderful, close friend of the show couple i won't name them here they're right on the verge of welcoming their second uh about to pop as they say and uh i think they're already uh dad is excited and of course mom is too good luck guys you know who you are we're rooting for you you'll do great of course and also it's a little bit late but gumtree party from down under he was the one who let us know that he was expecting his first or his first arrived pardon me buddy i can't call which it was i think it was expecting uh with his partner at the time but they are now engaged as well to be married so way to go doesn't matter personally to me which way the order goes uh obviously there's perhaps one way to do it and that's the uh, more standard conventional way but good luck buddy as you head toward marriage all right uh i wanted to start with a public health announcement here in the second half i alluded to this in the first but in all seriousness probably from the first week of october started with our youngest uh, puked at school. <laughs> he he got up and was like a little groggy. It was like, I don't want to go to school. He didn't have a fever. He was fine. I was like, it's just the case of the Mondays. It was literally a Monday. And then like an hour later, I got a call that he puked in class, went to pick him up uh, on the way home. He said, dad, I feel like I have to puke again. I said, oh, thank you so much for letting me know. Let me pull over. Oh, oh there it goes right into the family minivan. Okay, no big deal. Stomach bug, et cetera. He got over that, went back to school, and he got a fever uh, a couple days later. Of course, we kept him home for the fever, had some boogers, et cetera, but he mostly recovered back to school. And then he came down with a fever again three or four or five days later. Can't remember the exact sequence or whatever, but of course, we're on top of this stuff. We don't, you know take them to the ER for a fever or freak out anytime a kid gets sick. It happens. And nine times out of 10, your immune system just kicks it, of course. But when he got sick again, after that sequence, we said, all right, enough is enough. We took him to urgent care, not the ER. And uh, they're like, oh, yeah, it looks so good. He's got some green boogers, et cetera. Let's do a strep test. I thought maybe it was an ear infection. We don't get a lot of ear infections, uh, but you know, going to school, getting exposed to new stuff. Turned out he had strep. And he hadn't complained about a sore throat at all. He's old enough to talk about his symptoms. My nose, he's got a cough, et cetera. I feel warm. No report of sore throat. As soon as I got the news, of course, got on the phone. Yep. Potatoes got strep. And my wife goes, you know, my throat's been feeling a little bit scratchy. Maybe I should go in and get checked too. Boom. She's got strep. But didn't really have a sore throat up until that point. So then we're like, well, son of a B, I guess maybe we should all go in and get checked. Turned out all five of us had more or less asymptomatic strep. Uh, and of course, we all each went on our 10-day antibiotic cycle. I don't say that to uh, cry into my beer or boohoo sick family or whatever, but we didn't have sore throats and we all had strep throat. So if you have something that's lingering like that for a long time, I guess usually your body yeah. locks out viruses. I can see a couple of medical professionals in the audience cringing right now. as coach regales the family medical story, et cetera. But uh, I was damn glad uh, that we got that done. 
Maybe it's something going around. Oh, for sure. Uh, After that, Sam, we actually did some research and there's been stories over the past year about strep, uh, severe outbreaks in cities across America. Who knows? I don't know if it's antibiotic resistant or whatever, but this was like a low level strep. And the whole time that I was feeling crummy, Sam, what I was really uh, thinking about was blaming the white working class and the small business owners and the, and the yeah. people who didn't get <laughs> it, 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 yeah. it, it was really their fault that uh, I had sure. strep throat and was feeling crummy and uh, they should all go to hell and pound sand. Mm-hmm. Just... <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> By not getting the vax, it's your fault that I feel terrible. But point point being, urgent care is a wonderful thing. God knows, you know, whether the pediatrician would have been available for an appointment. It didn't rise to the level of emergency room. Huh, urgent care, or whatever they call it, uh, where you are when in doubt, take them. And we, I also got a mouthful from uh, both grandmothers saying you should have taken them sooner. You know, <laughs> like if, if it's yeah, lingering, well, if you got something like that, you know, live and learn, live and learn. We're all in the mess. Like uh, asymptomatic. So what are you supposed to do? You know, that's right. Yeah. But and at least like, you pursued <laughs> it far enough to see that the whole family was being affected. And that was certainly good to learn that. Yeah. Mike's over yeah, there shaking sure. his head. Like you bunch of, you bunch of pussies. Let me tell you about medical challenges. <laughs> <laughs> He did let us know that, yeah, he he had strep quite often as a boy, probably from smoking cigarettes and drinking Jägermeister at the age of eight down at the local football stadium, Uh, you know, passing bottles around. Isn't that right, Mike? (laughs) He's looking at me. He's like, yeah, (laughs) maybe. I think the worst one is having three daughters and always catching lice at school. Oh, Um, yeah. Long hair. That's bad. I mean, everything's got to get washed. Bed sheets, the whole nine uh-huh. yards. You gotta put this stuff in their hair and then run a comb through it and you pick out the little white eggs. Oh, oh nasty. Did you I use the opportunity to wish shake that their upon heads. anyone? <laughs> so I guess Zyklon for 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 lice, is that still <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, we never we never had a lice outbreak here. What was I thinking? Oh, the da- the dog and and fleas. That reminds me. Uh, our dog has had a low level flea infestation for a while, I'll say, before somebody gives me guff. Given her flea baths, gotten her a flea collar. She always gets the monthly treatment in between her collarbones, and she's still nipping around. And every once in a while, if we really comb through her, we'll like find one, pick it up, and throw it in the toilet. Uh, but they make these tablets now. I guess this is like an unexpected expanded health section into the animal world. Uh, but they make these tablets that you can get over the counter that supposedly add just enough little like poison to fleas that gets in the blood systems. The, fl- the fleas take a bite and, uh, you know, they fall off and die. So that is arrives on Monday for this thing. And I've been at DEFCON one on that because I remember as a kid, we adopted a cat once and it came choked with fleas and we never had a pet before. We were totally ignorant about fleas. And one summer our hat, like you would be sitting at the dinner table and you'd like a flea would jump on your leg or, you know, cause it carpets eighties, all that stuff. Uh, so I am really hopeful if you ever have this flea problem where they're there and supposedly flea bass and flea collars don't work that well, the stuff between the shoulder blades is more of a preventative than a treatment for an existing infestation. You give them six tablets of this stuff once a day, and then the fleas just drop off cold dead. I'll give you an update next week as to whether that really worked. All right, enough of me. I had to get that off my chest. It's been two weeks. You think I'd have more important things to talk about than strep or fleas, but there you go, spilling my pasta. Uh, 
let's go. You know what? Let's just let's let's do it. Rolo's got something that he wants to get off his chest, and I don't want to save this for too late in the second half when some of our slacker listeners might go to bed or let mm-hmm. life get in the way because that happens to me all the time. I listen to a podcast and I never finish it. Uh, Rolo, um, I have no idea where you're going with this one. Hooded, you're not wearing your, he's wearing his black hoodie. Uh, he's not wearing his silk robe, so that means he means business. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we got an email recently from uh, one uh, Arian Stallion1488, and mm, he's yes, still sir. listening <laughs> to us. So uh, here. Um, oh, well, okay. you, can, uh, you can sample from Okay, all right. Go ahead. It's it's all yours, buddy. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Okay. So, uh, listen, buddy. We don't care about you at all. You are a loser. Oh, hold on. Okay? Hold on. Roll up. Roll, roll, roll up. Let, let me let me set the table. Come on. You, you can't you can't just go right into it unlooped. Uh, Arian Stallion. Uh, uh, don't worry. I was gonna break it down, but you can go ahead and set it up all you want. Let, let me let me set the set the feast. <laughs> go ahead. Look. Sure. look, look uh, you know. Arian Stallion wrote up, wrote in originally asking for help. And I said, okay, you know, I, I responded courteously and non-committally, like I can't offer a woman up. And then he jumped down our throat with an email, kind of hilarious. We roasted him on the air. Then we eventually had him on the show. It was 90%. You can argue about the percentage, a normal interview. Uh, and then the revelation about certain activities in Southeast Asia, the, you know, stereotypical things that happened in Southeast Asia came out that we didn't know about that. He admitted candidly on the air and which we treated, I think like gentlemen. Um, and then he's continuing to create his content and it was radio silence for a while. It was like, kind of, you know, we got a lot of flack for it, et cetera. We explained a little bit again, I think graciously and kindly on the follow-up show, uh, both to cover our asses and provide some content too. And then months pass by and we, we receive a, uh, another barn burner, um, another, you know, multi-page message that, you know, frankly, I was willing to just say, okay, that's that, but not, not our Rolo, not our pit bull. <laughs> that's it. Go ahead. All right. Yeah. Like I'm saying, uh, yeah, you're a loser, dude. You are an absolute loser. So uh, he, he said that we're male feminists well, yeah, because we don't hate women, and that's the reality. You just hate women, and you're not a white nationalist. You're not a national socialist. You blame Jews for the reason that you can't get a woman, but the reality is you're just a psychopath. Okay, you make these hour-long videos. No one's watching. You're talking about, oh, I'm going to roast you guys next. That's entertaining for the audience. Yeah, you need to have an audience first in order to entertain them. And, and he wanted to come that, on the show just just without Rolo and even without Sam. <laughs> he wanted the hotline right to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he he didn't say he he said, he, no, no, no. He said he would let you interview him <laughs> as if he's some hot get. Yeah, you know that that guy used to it. Uh, he used to review prostitutes in Southeast Asia. That's the the burning content that he's out there making. Yeah, this guy. Yeah, he talks about how we encourage infighting. This all started because you came into our comment zone and you were talking shit on us, buddy. Yeah, well, we we can't get you laid. We can't get you views. We can't do anything. You are not wanted here, okay? And I, I could go into everything point by point, but all that really needs to be said is you are worthless. 
You are nothing. And the most interesting thing that ever happened to you in your entire life was you came on our podcast and admitted to having sex with a man. Get out of here and don't talk to us ever again. Multiple times. <laughs> maybe it's the Italian stallion. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, we give a lot of latitude of people to kind of think and say what they want, communicate and all that type of thing. Hey, there's a lot of ways to look at this thing, but uh, I, 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 I don't get it. We, uh, we, we tried. We we yeah. gave him a, a, a more more than fair and courteous uh, two yeah. hours. We gave him on. more than he's yeah. ever had, and it wasn't enough because this guy yeah. is unstable. He's a psychopath. He's a loser. Okay, I could say more, but uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter. The it's only thing he's ever been was a punchline on this show, which he made himself out to be by saying the stupid thing that he did because he is desperate for V, which he can't get on his own. So he blames Jews. And because we don't elevate him, he blames us. The problem is you fix yourself. No one else can do it for you. That That, that is both deserved. And I still uh, am sensitive about him taking it the wrong way or, you know, I don't know if he's probably listening. He's just going to make him angry. Trying to help him the wrong way. There Uh, is no help for him. (sighs) Mm. Well, I, I I would actually suggest that he, uh, you know, I, I suspect that the project is not going particularly well. Um, and that he should focus his energies on on more productive uh, enterprises as opposed to the content creation. If I were giving him honest advice, just get get things in order as opposed to being the the Lone Ranger, uh, <laughs> creating videos out there. That uh, <clears throat> I don't know M- makes me makes me sad. I, I can take the the hate mail and let it roll off my my back my shoulders. Rolo could not. Rolo felt very strongly that that deserved a pushback, and I certainly was not going to muzzle him on him. But if you want to check him out, he's there on Telegram, still doing his thing, and wherever else Odyssey, Rumble, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he'll listen to you, Rolo. Little little tough love. I don't know. All right. Oh, yeah, and also, he <laughs> called me low-key. <laughs> Buddy, your key is so low, you have to get it from a vial. Shut your mouth. Yeah, maybe it was a little bit more personal toward Rolo, and that's what got his goat. <laughs> Not just me, but also Larry. He came after Larry too. Oh, I forgot that. It was yes, yeah. he came after every one of us, and he came after the entire movement. He's not one of us. He's not part of us. He's a loser. He's a freak. All right, old uh, school beatdown. Yeah. After after this podcast appearance, Mike, I'm gonna uh, send you over Arian Stallion's way for your, your follow up. <laughs> 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 Deadpan shook his head. No, when I get done, he'll be crying. <laughs> All right. Uh, during during the break, of course, you know this always happens. We're we're shooting the shit and stor- telling stories or whatever. But uh, Mike, you uh, took <laughs> several several uh, tours of uh, the. 
swimming and soccer camps and the the orchestral camps of of Germany and its environs, uh, one of which was Buchenwald. Uh, tell us a little bit about your your visit there. I was very impressed with Buchenwald. It looked brand new, like they never did nothing there. The ovens were clean. There was nothing in them. <laughs> <laughs> and their and their museum. I mean, we went there to the museum just to see the SS uniforms and stuff. I mean, we're walking around, we're laughing, and then I'm down in the basement where they got the hooks on the wall called the hanging room, and I'm kind of standing on a stool making myself look like I'm hanging. And my buddy's taking pictures and laughing oh his God. ass off. <laughs> and I'm in full dress too, man. I got my bomber on. I got my boots on, and and I'm my my old bomber's got uh, Hitler's first division patch on the shoulder, and the other shoulder says Deutschland Power on it. So oh, yeah. we definitely halfway through it, we were kind of followed all the way out. <laughs> but. but Roughly, roughly. Yeah, I mean, what Doc, is that, Doc yeah. Howe is another one like that. Okay, yeah. Um, Sachsenhausen, I went to last year. That just a bunch of rebuilt walls showing the outskirts of the building, and then they they took a barracks and rebuilt it, and that's where the museum's in. But serious question, Mike: What do you think is the long and short of the quote unquote Holocaust? Um, Obviously, those were concentration camps, work camps, uh, and anything. Yeah, else. but they weren't being yeah. burned and shit. <laughs> they were. They were. You got to realize. I mean, you're you're going through the war. My mom had to stand in line for two days to get a loaf of bread, and yeah. she was like 15 years old. And then she told me another story when she was walking to the next town to get bread with two other older girls, and she was carrying a little girl. The uh, truck pulled up with some GIs on. Two black GIs got out and took the two older girls and took them down in the basement and raped them. And my mom stood there and watched all this, holding a little girl in her arms. You know, I mean, this yeah. is true stuff coming from my mom's mouth from that time. Nobody ever hears that kind of stuff. Yeah, the oh, German the Germans, the, the Germans were bad people. We're no good. You know, they yeah. don't know half the stuff that happened to the German people. Lothrop Stoddard's Into Darkness, I think he was there, 1940. World War II had kicked off, but it hadn't accelerated to the Eastern Front yet. And as right. that, that early in the war, Germans were already undergoing severe rationing of meat, butter, milk, et cetera. So their, their own population was being severely calorically yeah, restricted. Yeah, I mean. Before the Eastern are, Front, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you think people in concentration camp are going to get a full meal? That's why they're all skinny bones, because they didn't get no food or nothing. The yep. soldiers and uh, Germans are going to get the food first. Yep. A world historical swindle, as they say. Uh, you Sam, know. you ever been to Germany? No, I have not. Oh, shame on you, big guy. I, I know. know. I've been to Europe before, but not Germany. My first Bummer. time... Yeah, my first time to Germany was 2004. I had a layover in Frankfurt, an overnight early flight the next day. So I had to stay at some, you know, crappy corporate hotel on the outskirts of that big international airport in Frankfurt. And I just went for a for a little stroll, as one does, looking to kill time. Very excited to be there. First time in my ancestral homeland, among others in Europe. And uh, I remember seeing lots of what I clearly perceived to be Arabs or Turks, uh, like like, you know, 
out on their balcony or sticking their head out the window or whatnot and thinking, that's kind of strange. You know, it's still largely blue-pilled there, but I'm walking around Germany for my first time and seeing brown faces on the outskirts of this major international airport gateway to the world and thinking, that's that's odd. That doesn't seem right. Uh, same experience in Amsterdam, walking around and being like, there's not really a lot of Dutch people here. That was part of the ancient awakening stirring of my soul was seeing more non-Europeans than Europeans in Europe long before the most recent invasion. If the enemy wants to really talk about roots of radicalization and why the white kids are angry, uh, you know, how about you know the, the absolute replacement theory, conspiracy theory? No, come on. It's a fact. And we all know it's a fact. You're just playing word games. Uh, speaking of Muslims in Europe, brief update on the Middle East. I think we've all got a little bit of an unfortunate ha uh, happening hangover here. Uh, but yet again, it looks like the Palestinians are stuck holding their dicks and fighting for themselves. The great Muslim threats and banging of drums, etc. cetera. Uh, nothing's really happened aside from a little bit of Hezbollah stuff on the northern border. Meanwhile, the Israeli army did go in big into Gaza, and uh, they're duking it out with uh, rocket-propelled grenades trying to t take out those tanks. One of the million-dollar questions our guys have is, man, I'm seeing a lot of footage of these brave freedom fighters you know, launching things at tanks and seeing the big boom, but are they actually taking them out? Obviously, they're taking some out. Uh, but as we go to tape right now, it is 12-12 on November 20th. There's talk of a... It's temporary ceasefire to let some hostages go and uh, possibly get some humanitarian aid in there. Uh, but as of right now, it looks like Israel is arguably, quote unquote, winning the campaign to go into Gaza, bisect the country, uh, go down into the tunnels and try to take out as much of Hamas as possible. Uh, and the Ayatollah is monitoring the situation. Nasrallah is monitoring the situation. And I think there was kind of a cope that maybe they are waiting for them to go in and then they would raise the, the black flag over some mosque and declare jihad or holy war. I don't know. It's, it's kind of just grueling cruelty at this point and frankly, quite depressing. I don't know if you guys have been paying yeah. attention to any thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, for sure. Uh, well, whatever happens in this conflict, um, I mean, we can kind of anticipate it, right? I mean, the Gaza is going to be subjugated. They're going to drive out or kill most of those people. But whatever happens, or, you know, maybe there's some surprise yet to happen. The Whatever happens, this free Palestine movement in the West is going to be times 100 going forward. Um, and, uh, I, I do think that this is a pivotal moment, at least to say that it, it, there will be a before and an after with this incident, with this ongoing conflict. And, uh, I, I know, I know in some ways we, we debate about, do you take a side? Do you care? Does it matter? I think it does matter in the sense that, no matter how it turns out, there there will be ramifications in the West. At the very least, this free Palestine movement is going to go turbocharged. And uh, on the other hand, as, if there's some tiny percentage chance that 
the country we call Israel is the the government is destabilized in some way. If Iran gets into this, if there's really like a a more even uh, even fighting between the sides, no matter what happens, this this changes uh, the world dynamic in in politics because this Jew problem is behind all dynamics of politics in the West and maybe the whole world. Yeah. There, there's an interesting dynamic going on with Antifa too, right? Of course there's tons of Jews yeah. in Antifa and some of them yeah. probably are incapable of holding their tongues when it comes to their uh, cradle nest over there. So non-Jewish Antifa are getting into fight with <laughs> fights with yeah. Jewish Antifa. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is uh, uh, the narrative is being smashed here and you have uh, the uh, serpent eating its tail. Truly. Yep, and uh, Biden's poll numbers are in the tank. Unfortunately, Zion, that only benefits Zion Don. And I said this yeah. on a uh, on a separate call earlier this week or earlier last week. Uh, you know, nobody when when you see ninety five percent of pro Palestine protesters, of course, they are either women or brown, or there's that bizarre faction of Jews who are like, "We're pro Palestine too. It's not a Jewish yeah. problem." You know, whether they're agents or just you know basically cucks yeah. of Judaism, I don't know. But agents. I don't, I don't like those people either just you know just because i believe that israel is a bad actor and the palestinians deserve to have their own homeland uh doesn't mean that i sympathize <coughs> excuse me or identify with all those people but if you're having the conversation with your you know your family your friends we heard one horror story about you know, my boomer dad, like sent money to support the IDF or something like that. Or you know, that, Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the lefties are not wrong about 100% of every single issue on earth. And the you can be of, accidentally yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Or right. Right. Sure. For reasons. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Right. For the right reasons on certain things. Yeah. We don't well, have this, to agree about is, everything else. This is, well, this is a culmination of everything that they've pushed onto the left because it's all about uh saving the the underserved and and uh eliminating imperialism and colonialism and J Jews are everything that's wrong with everything like like no matter who you yeah. are pick like pick a problem Jews will be the cause of it like somehow and obviously it's not like Oh really? When I stubbed my toe, was it the Jews' fault? Shut up! You know what I mean on a, like a political and cultural <laughs> level. So they've jammed all these these institutions with brown people. Brown people see brown skin and white skin, and they say, "Hmm, which one do I pick?" Uh, every time. So of course, as these places get browner, well, you're going to have more brown people siding with other brown people. It's just as simple as that. Yep. And and all the brown people that well based that that hate <laughs> Jews, they think Jews are white. I mean, right. Jews have been masquerading right. in the West as white people. That's but the right they, yeah, the wrong reason part. Yeah. Yes, yeah. They they only they only hate Jews because they think they're white. They don't they don't understand Talmudry. They don't know about the the way they torture chickens. They don't know about their role in 9-11. They don't know any of that stuff. They just see what looks like right. white skin and they say racial enemy. They see the brown Palestinian. Yeah. yeah. And they see a uh, racial ally. That's it. 
So, you yeah. know, you reap what you sow. And be grateful and be grateful in a certain, in a Machiavellian or a purely opportunistic, uh, you know, sense, be grateful that the Democrat party has such a large base of, uh, frothing at the mouth, Brown, Muslim, anti-Israeli or anti-Jewish activists, because that will weaken the overwhelmingly evil party. I still think that the, you know, the Democrats are the evil party. The Republicans are the stupid party or the cowardly party. Uh, well, or the off party, you know, insert you, adjective, but, I, but it's use. They are useful to weakening the power base and stronghold of the open borders party too. That, that's right. You know, yeah. Have I told you my Democrat Republican analogy? Is it about a corpse and the maggots eating the corpse? Are you going to steal? No, oh, no, no, Go ahead, Roland. no, no, no. <laughs> well, well, the, what the the Democrat Party is the the being that drags you to an alley and violently rapes you, and the Republican Party stands outside the alley and and makes sure no cop comes down to look. <laughs> Very good. Or yeah, they're they're a little slicker about it with the roofie. Yeah, not not bad. Really. Mm. Go ahead, Robert. You, you got. It. <laughs> uh, you're a young buck. Were you? Uh, were you? Did, all right. Let, let, let's dig a little bit here. Uh, you know, Robert was, or sorry, German uh, Mike was suckling at anti-Semitism uh, at the boob from <laughs> from day one. But you, my friend, uh, were just a naive, you know, American kid with probably no political uh, direction aside from what school told you. How uh, was it again? Just poll you, you and the Jews. A, a short tale. <laughs> Me and the Jews are really yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Thickest thieves, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yes, An American yes. tale, if you would. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, no, I mean, for me, like, I, I really didn't care, like, whenever I first started. Like, I I um, I um, was just into 4chan, and I liked the edgy memes and everything. You know, it was all just, like, uh, it was all just that. It was all just theater. Um, the memes. Yeah, and then eventually what really, like, made me actually start taking things seriously and like trying to change the way I see the actual world. It's so, it's so like silly to say it, but it was the political cartoon Murdoch Murdoch that set me off the rails when it came to the way I saw things. There you um, go. Yeah. It's great because the guys who produced that show, they put so much work into actually doing like good, like historical reading. They have great philosophical knowledge. They were able to sort of, um, make something that was funny and entertaining, but at the same time, it came from a very well-informed place. Yep. So it was, it was the, uh, it was definitely that I would say for sure that really started to put it in perspective. And then you guys know, like once you start seeing these things, you can't <laughs> unsee effect, them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You see it everywhere. Yeah, you know? exactly. But I, I think there is a lot of hope though. Like right now, um, yeah. you know, it's like what Rolo was saying a minute ago with Jews being identified. About Aryan Stallion? About, <laughs> about our, our good friend, Aryan Stallion. Yeah, no. Um, no, he's got it right with those Thai lady boys. Uh, no, the, uh, oh, man. Joking, I'm joking. Uh, no, but the... Um, the, it's true, though. It <laughs> I got a lot of friends. That, I got a lot of friends that have been over there in the military, and they say most of those girls are guys. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, I bet. <laughs> oh, it, it sounded. It sounded like Mike was endorsing. You know, a little yeah, bit of exploration. <laughs> like, You're right. You know, they, they really figured it out. Mike's like, I don't just go to Germany, fellas. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they got plenty of them in Berlin too. 
It's got oh, lipstick oh, man. Thailand in his passport. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like what Rolla was saying with um, a lot of brown people considering Jews white. I think that now with um, a lot of what we've been seeing uh, with like large talking heads in America, um, people are starting to discuss the problem with Israel now and the way Jewish people view white people. Because, you know, a lot of people in America, mostly progressives, they have this slave morality, right? They always try to appeal to the victim and, you know, they want to feel bad for the little guy. But uh, now that they're seeing that the Palestinians are the little guys and they can see the Jews as the aggressors, they're looking into who else the Jews are being aggressive towards. And they're seeing more and more now that white people are targeted by the Jews, just like the brown people, I guess. Um, We don't really need their sympathy but it at least changes the sort of like talking point in America. It sort of shifts the window a little bit. Yeah. No, the, the narrative breakthrough or endorsement of Elon Musk and to a lesser extent Tucker with Candace was the explicit statement that Jewish groups now, of course they do all the caveating Jewish communities or like certain Jews, et cetera, are anti-white and are, behind the agenda and the open borders and the you know the discrimination etc to have wealthy powerful l- beloved widely followed white men endorsing what is essentially the central tenet you know they, they don't go all the way and say that it's part of jewish identity the revolutionary uh, spirit etc e michael jones or the culture of critique from kevin mcdonald but that's the core of it Things are messed up because of them. White people are no longer in control of their destiny because of them, as painful as it is to admit, right? I mean, you know, it it hurts saying that, even though it's the truth, uh, but it is through their wealth and ferociousness and victimhood that they've been able to get away with all this stuff. Um, Mike, when you were growing up, did did your parents or grandparents talk to you about the Jews uh, specifically? I assume so. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> He's smiling. <laughs> Does a cat have an ass? Does a pope wear a funny hat? What was it like? Serious. What was the discussion? Like? My, yeah. my mom was always quiet about that. If I would rant and rave stuff at home about uh-huh. Jews or Jews, my mom yeah. would just kind of not say anything. I think it was because during the war, you didn't really talk a lot during the war. But my dad was always ranting and raving about that. And then okay. with my grandfather, he basically told me what was going on during the war, what he did, where he went, what right. people were doing. I will tell you, though, Yeah, I, I had a Jewish young guy named David. He was a Cidic Jew. I met him at Home Depot, and he's like, oh, you know how to do sheet metal? Because I was getting some sheet metal stuff for a side job. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm a sheet metal worker. Why? And he's like, oh, do you do side jobs? I'm like, yeah, cash. So this guy brings me on, and whenever he had an install, he would call me up, and he would give me like $1,000 cash for a day to put like a furnace or an AC in, and it was all Jews' houses. And so I learned a lot in that year how they are. They're they're more racist than anyone can even imagine. Because oh, sure. I saw them, how they talked about it, everything. I mean, this guy had a company with a, a livery service because the I'm like, well, why do you got all these, like, livery cars? He's like, oh, my people need a ride to the airport. Why don't they just take a taxi cab? And he's like, well, look who's driving a cab. It's either Muslim, black, or Palestinian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and the Schwarze. 
So, yeah. So, I mean, there were, I'm like, man, you sound like really racist, dude. And he's like, oh, yeah, if you're not Jewish, we don't let you in. You Mask know? off. Yep. Moment, moments of candor, absolutely. That fierce. So it was kind of really interesting. I used to always throw a penny on the floor when I was putting a furnace in. <laughs> and he, he, he would look down. He's like, "Did you throw another penny on the?" I don't. He must have. I was just weird. I mean, we just were like business partners, and we didn't. I mean, he saw my skin had tattoos and stuff, and knew I was no a racist. Kidding. And yeah. and I would always. The worst one was we were in um. Uh, Mike and David, uh, that's a good buddy conflict. A, a rabbi. <laughs> I was in a rabbi's basement putting a furnace in, and on the wall were like these like big fur hats. Yeah. I took the, 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 the one off that the looks wall. like the, che- the cheese wheel looking one, right? It looks like, it's yeah, like it's a- all fur, like fox fur. I yeah. put that on my head and I started taking pictures of myself with it on. <laughs> And I, was sal- I was saluting at the same time, and he comes down there, and he just like his face dropped. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I wanted to try one of these hats on. It kind of looked cool, <laughs> and just to piss him off. And he's like, you can't wear that, dude. That's like a, a high ranking synagogue priest. Blah blah blah. I'm like, so what? It looks like just a fur hat to me, you know. Mike installing furnaces in the basements of Jews is uh, some pretty yeah, great. Yeah, yeah that's right. Just shovels, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know how they, hey, uh. I wasn't working and I needed money, so got to support my family. No, I hear it, and that's uh, one of the, one of the things you mentioned. Jews, of course, being racist when they're being candid behind scenes. One of the reasons that I never bought the whole like Russia other coin of Zog, you know, sim- oh. similar like ba- Babes in Toyland with Frankfurt. When I spent time in Russia, and I was uh, in 2001, I was definitely like liberal and anti-racist, not vehemently or whatever. But I said multiple times, I said Russians are the most racist people I've ever met. Oh, good God! You know, like if your skin is like a lighter shade than than pale white, you know, you're getting hassled by the police. You know, you're getting looked down on by the natives. Of course, at the time, I thought that was a bad thing. So yeah, they, these uh, unrestricted ethnic communities in their natural state are naturally racist. And I don't even, you know, it's uh, just like the, yeah. the natural state of mind. It's like the, just nature to be that way. Yep. It's, I, mean, it's, I, I had to go to a, a warehouse that one of the Jews owned. I was working on the rooftop unit and down in there was a whole warehouse of food and clothing and stuff. And the Jews that didn't have a lot of stuff would go there. And it was just like a come in there with a shopping cart and fill up what you need. Yep. You know, they all take care of themselves, that's for sure. And they don't let outsiders in. And some Mike, of the what, shit that I some of the stuff yeah. I learned about, they all have single beds and they sleep in separate beds. And when they have sex, mm-hmm. they put a sheet over the woman with a hole in the middle. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, how shit. how else can you get it up? Have you ever seen what right. a Jewish woman looks like? Goodness gracious. <laughs> oh god. Rolo does that too, but that's just to hide the uh, <laughs> some of the women he brings home. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Man, maybe that stallion guy <laughs> yeah, needs a uh, Jewish there. wig. <laughs> there you go. Oh. Mike, what's the worst rumble, the most dangerous, the bloodiest rumble? you've ever been in uh vaguely don't give too too many specifics i don't want to get in trouble there old timer <laughs> he's thinking he's like good god we went to 
Belgium because VfB VFB is the local German soccer team in Stuttgart. And that's like my team, VfB. Okay. And all the hooligans and skinheads from the Stuttgart area, we got together. We went on a train to Ludwig in Belgium. And we get there, it's probably about 150 of us. And we're just storming through the streets, drinking, going bar to bar, starting fights in the bars, beating on people. And then um, by the time we get to the stadium, there's like maybe a quarter of the guys are already gone, rusted, lost, drunk, passed out. And then we're on the one side of the stadium. There must have been about 100 of us. And the whole rest of the stadium, like, I don't know, 10,000. We're all the Belgian team, and we're we're standing there, and my friends are burning the Belgium team's flags and shit. And, oh, my God. And then I go to my buddy Marcus. I'm like, how are we getting out of here, dude? And he's like, oh, we're going to fight our way out. I'm like, what? How are we going to – 100 <laughs> of us take, like, 8,000 people? So like, <laughs> next thing I know, the, next thing I know the, the game was over, and we got a whole bunch of – Belgium police guys in Reich, you're German shepherds. I have one guy on each side of me walking me out of the stadium. I'm kicking and, and trying to punch these guys, and these guys are just whipping bottles at me. I just basically covered my face the best that I could and just took hits and kicks and punches. And they brought me out of the stadium and put me into a armored car. Like a riot <laughs> like a oh, like a yeah. an armored riot car. And then they drove us to the train station, and they held us there at the train station. And then one of our guys is like, oh, man, it, uh, the main hooligan uh, bar is across the street. <laughs> so the cops kind of like, we just cooled down, relaxed, and the cops kind of slowly went away. And then we stormed out of the train station <laughs> across the street to their main main bar. And we trashed the place, man. I was, I was throwing <laughs> chairs over the bar into the glass, into oh the mirrors gosh. and the booze and punching people, knocking them out. Oh, my God. It was like a blood. It was rough. Do, so you re- one of my, do you regret it or are you grateful for the memories? And you know, I was really scared, man. The badass I was, I was still like kind of scared. Like, how am I getting out of this? You know? <laughs> Fair enough. Mm. And then the uh, one other time probably yeah. would be in Brussels, Belgium. We went to a skinhead, big skinhead show in Brussels, but I didn't know it was like not a, a national socialist event. It was just kind of like bands playing, like kind of punk rock. And I, this was like probably 91, 92 when I was in my heyday. And I separated with my friends and there was like, these five dark guys driving past me, and I, I I booted the side of the door with my boots, and then they stopped and got out, and there was like five of them, so I started fighting like two or three of them, and I'm like, oh, man, I can't take all these guys. And then uh, the next thing you know, my crew of guys came around the corner, and then we cleaned them up and shoveled them back in their car and put them on their way. <laughs> <laughs> And I got other <laughs> stories, but I don't think I want to talk about those. On, no, on, no, 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 no. Fair enough. That uh, have to do with uh, bottles and fire. <laughs> uh, so. ser- serious personal question, Mike, and you can field it as you like. Um, yes. Your 
life or your worldview has not been, as I understand it, necessarily easy in terms of fatherhood and your kids. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, we've talked about this a lot. I'm still very depressed about it. Is it is it the ideology that the kids rebelled against? Is it the, I mean, listen, you know, fathers and their children get estranged or have difficulties all the time for hundreds of different reasons. I mean, when um, they're, everything was fine when they were young, but as they got older, my wife kept saying, Oh, you can't, you can't tell all of the kids this stuff and them not knowing yeah. or, or understanding it. Because right. the one teacher from school called my wife up and said, your daughter's drawing swastikas on her paper at school. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. she asked my oldest daughter, Kaylee, why are you why are you drawing swastikas on your papers at school? And she's like, well, that's my father. My father's a Nazi. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. like my wife just yep. went ballistic and started yelling at me about it and and all my kids grew up in all my kids went to Catholic school. They were all baptized Lutheran, and then once they got a little older, out of preschool and stuff, then I put them in first and second grade in a Catholic school that my dad went to because he wanted you know my kids to go there. So they got rebaptized Catholic, and that's where they went for eight years. You know, basically Catholic grade school. It's a tightrope so with kids and, and talking to them about our stuff and y- you risk them going overboard and head first into it or rebelling against it or making a simple indiscretion at school and getting in trouble and having it blow back on you, you and the family. And Well, it had a lot to do with my wife. I, I even asked her a couple years ago. I'm like, well, you know what you were getting into. You know, I was an active racist skinhead and I, I'm going to Germany every year doing stuff with my blood and honor brothers and. And she was like, oh, well, I was only 22 when I met you. And I thought that shit was all really cool back then. You know, my 30th birthday, I got pictures of her making a a cake with a big swastika on it. And I can't even tell you the shows that she was at in Germany. I mean, she's been on stage with Brutal Attack. She's been on stage with Bound for Glory, Conquista 88 from Poland. I mean, and another thing is I have a good friend, Frank that lived on the east side of Berlin, which called the White, the White Sea, the Weissensee, that was formerly East Germany, because I know a lot of the skinhead guys still from East Germany, because that's where a lot of the crew guys were from. He yeah. drove us around one night, downtown Berlin, and he would stop at these different high-rise buildings. He's like, look at the roof. And I would look up there, and I'm like, what am I looking for? He's like, you see that lit-up pyramid? And I was like, oh, yeah, wow, that's kind of weird. And we drove around Berlin like the whole evening, and, and he kept stopping at all these buildings with uh, big pyramids on top of the buildings lit up. I'm like, so what does that mean? He's like, oh, those are those are lit up pyramids, letting all the Jews know that uh, that that company or buildings owned by Jews. Hmm. It's really kind of kind of no interesting. Kidding. Weird. Uh, yep, it is. It is not the easy path uh, to take our. So path. I don't really talk to my kids. I haven't talked to my son in two years. I got a granddaughter; it's almost two years old. I've seen her once for a couple hours. Um, my youngest one lives here. She's twenty three, and I just don't even bother let her be because she's going to be marrying a Puerto Rican boy next year, which I'm not too happy about, but. I'm sorry, Mike. 
I'm yep. just right now trying. My main goal right now is to try to get better so I can get to Germany, have some fun again. There you go. And then uh, be nice to kind of maybe find a lady friend, at least go out to dinner or a movie or something like that. Because it's like I'm a, kind of a loner now. I don't want to go out to dinner by myself or a movie, you yeah. know. And it's, again, very hard to find someone with the same beliefs here. I got way better of a chance finding one. Plus, my age doesn't help either. You know, if I was a lot younger, I might have a chance, but not this age. Because I talked to a lot of girls out in the West Coast, and kind of when they find out how old I am and my medical issues, they kind of just veer away and don't want to hang out or talk anymore. So I got my I'm brothers here. You, right now, old age is in, all right? Look, you're an older guy. <laughs> if you got that old game you can throw on women, they won't be able to resist it. Trust me. It'll be good. It's what the kids call Riz. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Robert. Hang, yeah, hang in there, Mike. I know it's been it's been rough, and that is painful. Well, we talk a lot when we see each other about that, and it's just that's my biggest hardest thing is is now on holidays. I'm kind of just sitting here by myself, thinking about what I did, what I might have done wrong. I mean, I went to work. I went to work. They went to Disney. In the summertime, to go to Disneyland, I stayed home and worked. I didn't even go on vacation with them to Florida for two weeks. You know, all I did was work, work, work. Worked my eight-hour day, or I worked a ton of overtime, and then I did side jobs in the evening, you know, to give them all what they wanted. Now it's like can't even come by and say hello. But then I do look back, and I think about how it was me and my dad. I mean, when I got older, me and my dad didn't talk probably from – 17 to 30. Right. So Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing. I, maybe it's no consolation for me to say it, but uh, your children, they are adults, but they are, I would call them young adults mostly. Right. <clears throat> and uh, sometimes people go through those 20s and they could have a rocky relationship with their parents. And it's kind of like the old joke we hear about that, you know, when, when I was young, I thought my parents were wrong about everything. And then when I got a little older, I saw that they were right about everything. So oh, I no, would say, that's uh, never going to happen. Well, don't, don't give Please. up. You know, I, I got a few duds too, you know, and, uh, uh, sometimes, uh, in, in time, they might have a little change of heart. I'm basically non-filtered. That's my problem. Like I'll go to my oldest daughter's house and, her husband, Tony, the Accardos, big uh, Sicilian-Italian family. The one cousin is gay, married to another guy. The another cousin's yeah. a lesbian, married to another girl. Oh, and I'm, she asked me never to come over there again on the holidays or anything. Like, I would go to the, yeah. on the 4th of July every year and just go crazy, drink and stuff. And, and I would guess I was just shooting. I, I can't hold my tongue, man. I got something to say yeah. that comes into my head. I blunt it out. I don't care. Good reminder. So that's the we problem with out. my kids. My kids don't like yeah. me being around them at all because of a lot of stuff that I blunt out and say. So I guess it's kind of my fault too, in a way. But uh, yeah, hey, it is what it is, man. My time's coming close, so I lived the life I wanted to live. I did the things I wanted to do, things I wanted to see. I still got to get to Australia and f- visit my brothers over there in Sydney and Melbourne. 
I got a lot of friends over in Australia. I need to get back to the VFS guys in Verona, Italy. I used to go to shows in Verona, Italy every year. Yeah, the Easter show every spring. Knock it out, Mike. Yep. Get after so, it. It's a good re- good good reminder for us too. And look, all of all of us have lost relationships dear and insignificant as a result yeah. of our views or our inability to censor ourselves or you know bite our tongues i lost lost yeah, a dear looking, friend when i couldn't keep my mouth shut once over a dinner and i look back on it and uh i think well should i have just kept my mouth shut then maybe but was i lying was i wrong no <laughs> so that's on that that's on him for not being able to accept his old pal spitting the truth you know we've, we've right. all gone through it it's more painful, of course, when it's your kids. I mean, my whole life's been nothing but a National Socialist battle, you know? In the 80s, I would go out every Saturday night, like with Clark and them guys, and we would go down to Belmont and Sheffield area, and we would go look for Baldies and beat on them. That's what we did every week. <laughs> nothing but fighting all. That's how it was for skinheads in the 80s. You know, it's a lot different with the younger guys now, you know? That's yep. the life. I the can't life tell you how many times I've how many times I've been in front of the uh, courthouse in Berwyn wearing my blood drop shield and cloak, but I won't get into anything deeper than that. <laughs> Fair enough. Mike, do you, uh, I mean, I, I, this is probably a dumb question, but the, the core ideology, the belief, the faith, the pride, it's still with you despite all the scars and and the wounds and the pain. Fair fair to say? Yeah, I kind of left my wife and kids aside for my beliefs. I basically let all that go for my beliefs. And a lot of people always say, Mike, you're going to be a mean old man by yourself if you don't start straightening up. And I'm like, I'm not straightening up. I'm not giving up what my forefathers and my family taught me when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, I take that deeply. I mean, you go in my room, there's my, my grandfather in his uniform on the wall. You know, people yeah, are like, the, oh, that's a, that's a cool picture of a Nazi guy in a uniform. That's my grandfather. You know, every time Nate comes over here, I got a Hitler youth snare drum in my room <laughs> that I brought back in 2016. Wow. And he, Nate's always drooling on. He's like, "Man, could I put this on a drum kit and play it one time?" I'm like, "No, want to give me eight hundred bucks?" Yeah. Because <laughs> what, what 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 they want from you is to shut up or to lie or to bend the knee or to accept the Puerto Rican boyfriend or fiance, etc. And it's just for the right man with the with a semblance of spine. That's just it's a non-starter. Sorry. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'll stand by my daughter's side all the time. I don't care what she marries or who she marries. As long as they respect me, I'm okay with that, I guess. If it makes her happy. He takes care of her and treats her good. I'm okay with that, I guess. Because it could be a lot worse than that. Fair enough. That's um, all I could say, and that's all I can do. I don't want to lose the last relationship with my youngest. She at least talks to me once in a while. We cook dinner together, which is kind of cool still, which I used to do with my kids all the time. They'd be like, Dad, when are we making schnitzel and spetzlin? I'm like, 
the Rolodnum, you know, it was always Saturday or Sunday, German food night, and I would cook German dishes, you know. I miss a lot of that. Mike, we salute you so, for a, a long, full life of staying true to yourself, to our ancestors, our shared ancestors, to your family, to our ideals. And uh, no, it hasn't been easy. Uh, Robert, no offense, but we're not going to go off on a tangent about uh, drum and bass. Oh, come on. Right? I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, we, I, I, I'm willing to, but it just it would be yeah, such a record on. scratch to pivot off on that. <laughs> I know. It's just been a serious, yeah. heavy discussion. Oh, we need, no, we need a little uh, we need a little break from that. Come on. Look, drum maybe Mike needs to learn some drum and bass music. You know, that right, maybe that'll help him. Him. Maybe right. this is going to help Mike here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mike we're will wrong, be like, wrong, what a bunch of soft. Stupid kids. All right, fine. Sam. How about, Sam? I'll tell you about the early nineties, the coolest thing I ever did in the early nineties. Go ahead, big guy. It was nineteen ninety-two. I got a call from my best friend Marcus in Germany. And Marcus is like, You gotta get here in the next two weeks. I'm like, why? He's like, because Ian Stewart's coming, screwdriver's coming to play a couple shows in Germany. And he's staying at my house with Stigger. I was like, get out of here. So I, I flew over there two weeks. I got there, and there's Ian and Stigger sitting on the couch in his living room. And I got to sit down with Ian and Stigger and talk with them a whole evening, and then we went to his show the next day out in the woods. I would say that's because I hear a lot of people always say, ah, oh, screwdriver, screwdriver, screwdriver. I'm <laughs> like, you want to see on my phone? I got pictures with Ian and, and Stigger. They're like, What? I'm like, yeah, I used to be good friends with them guys. And I went over in 92 to hang out with them. And they're just like, oh, my God, that's unbelievable. So that would probably be one of my favorite things. Because I remember telling Nate and those guys those stories, and they're like, oh, my God, you hung out with all these people like Ken from Brutal Attack. I mean, Ken's a year older than me, but he's still, <laughs> he still text him once in a while, see how he's doing, what's going on. So he's Good probably stuff. got a girlfriend in every country with a kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, yeah, I mean, then, I, I, uh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I'm not going to cut you off. Yeah. And then, uh, like, Ed, the guys from Bound for Glory. Yeah. I've been to a bunch. Of, we were in Germany. We are in Poland. You know, that's when my wife was on the stage with them guys. And it's just like. I show people pictures of that, and they're just like, oh, my God, is that Ken from Brutal Attack? I'm like, yeah, I've known him like 45, 40 years. And they're <laughs> hey, like, oh, wow, that's so Great cool. guy, for sure. Ain't no thing. So, I'm very happy for <laughs> yeah. the people I've met, the things I've done. Like Lancer, like Lunikov, I tried to get hang out with him last year in Berlin, but he wasn't around. He was out of town because there's a uh, – a bar called Sturges in Liechtenstein, East Germany. And that's the main clubhouse for the Vandalins because that's the, their biker group. And then I don't know if you know Griffin. That sure. used to be Canada. No, he was originally from England, Blood and Honor. Kind oh, okay. of yeah, 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 yeah. So he's now there in Berlin too. I tried to get both a whole one. I tried to go see them guys when I was there for that two weeks, but I didn't have enough time. So. Mm-hmm. Hoping to go next summer for a month and a half, and I'm going to go stay up with Nigel for a week too. 
That's another thing. You got, free, you got friends, you get friends all around the world, Mike. Yeah. Well, Nigel yeah. calls me like a couple of times. I was at Nate's house, and Nigel called me. I put him on the speakerphone, and and they're like, "Who's that?" I'm like, "Nigel," and they're like, "Nigel who?" I'm like, "Nigel Brown." You're like, "What?" Nigel from No Remorse. I'm like, "Yeah, I'm real good. I'm like best friends with Nigel. I stayed with him last year <laughs> in Germany with him." Ain't no thing. And they're just like, oh, my God, it's such a classic, iconic band from Britain, you know. So I don't know. Well, those, those are the things you got to keep in mind. You know, sometimes you get down. I've been with Mike where he was he was down, you know. And uh, so I, I try to remind, rem, remind him of those things. Like when we were at the camp out, remember we were around the bloat there? We had all the yeah. people arm in arm and all that. I said, Mike, you got to no, remember. Oh, that was guys, bad, man. dude. That was bad. I was crying in the whole nine yards, dude. Yeah, there's a lot of people who care about you, man. So whenever you're feeling down bad. I drank yeah. a mouthful of meat and broke down on that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mike, Mike, fortunately, you know, I, I never get down about our prospects or life in general. <laughs> yeah. Never, never, never get emotional when I got a little sauce of me. It's true. And I, I, you know, for you, skinhead music was formative in, uh, you know, basically your cultural identification. And I told my, it's, it's similar to a red pill story. I told my electronica story on the white power hour. The first time I ever had more, right. than a, more than a beer with my cousins at the Jersey Shore and one of their Goomba Italian buddies, good good guy, I say that respectfully, put on Robert Miles' Dreamland, you know, children, do 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 and I was like, <laughs> I don't know what this is, but it's the most amazing, <laughs> almost like I was stoned, you know, <laughs> it's the most amazing music I ever heard, and I was smitten from that time, and I'm looking at Robert here, and the reason yeah. that I had whole, whole drum and bass, and such a low low regard <laughs> is that the first time i was at college and uh you know a certain uh, associate he certainly wasn't a friend he was a fat pockmarked asian wearing those gigantic jeans <laughs> or whatever. he was a big drum and bass guy <laughs> Oh, and, uh, you know, he had access to certain uh, illegal substances that I may or may not have consumed that time. And he had uh, he had Robert. He had uh, Oak, Paul Oakenfold's Transport, which is a fantastic CD. That, that that one really blew my socks off. And then like later in the night, he turned on drum and bass, which is like just brutal and repetitive. Do, 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 do. It was like the same song over and over again. My kids actually tell me that my trance, it all sounds the same, dad. It all sounds the same. Anyway. <laughs> and, and then, uh, I, you know, I, I held Robert in the highest esteem until I heard he was a drum and bass uh, aficionado. But basically the, the first real rave club that I ever went to and more or less the only one I've ever been to in D.C. called Nation, where it was buzzed on Friday nights when they had the good DJs. You walk into this gigantic old warehouse in the ghetto of southeast dc you could see the capitol building lit up in the distance waiting in long lines everybody's sneaking stuff in trying to get drugs in through the bouncers first time i went there i was like terribly drunk and like friends had to convince them to let an 18 year old in because it was 19 year old years to get in but the first room 
that you had to pass through to get to the main floor, you know, where they had the main DJ and the beautiful lights and the good music was the drum and bass room. And I alluded this to this to Robert and the drum and bass room was like the scum of the earth. You know, they were all like on ketamine and the music was terrible. And there was vomit in the corners. There were like kids literally like passed out in the speakers. Boom, 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 boom. And I just, I, I, I was like, I don't, I don't know what this is. Is, but it was it was like it was like like ascending from hell into heaven to go from the drum and bass room into the main floor, you know, or the, the big beautiful open space and the beautiful people and the lights and the happy people. It was the sad, ugly people in the drum and bass room and the beautiful dancers in the trance room. <laughs> oh Robert's just looking at me like, all right, all right old look, timer. Let's, right, let's hear the other side of the two thousand. hear the other side here. Yeah, look, the music changes a lot, okay? I mean, that might have been 60, 70 years ago, whenever your day was, you know. Yeah. What do you but, mean? I still whoa. listen to techno. <laughs> oh, all right. All right. <laughs> There you go, Michael. I listen to techno when I go to bed. It puts me to sleep and relaxes me, actually. (laughs) But everywhere you you go, go, there's techno playing. So that's a flex. (laughs) Mike goes to sleep to techno. Yeah, that's hardcore. Yes, I do. Well, I can't listen to anything louder than that. It keeps me up. Maybe drum and bass. Maybe drum and bass has changed. Go ahead, Robert. I want to hear Robert's defense of the drum and bass. (laughs) Okay. All right. So my defense would be no matter what like genre of electronic music you listen to, there's going to be druggos everywhere. You know, it does, I've True. seen like, girls like at trance concerts. That are pumped, got, I don't know about gospel. Rolo. I don't know about that one, but <laughs> I, I've seen girls that are like just completely zoinked out on Molly, like at uh, trance. It's called like, ecstasy, son. <laughs> oh, ecstasy. Oh, yeah. right. But back in my day, yeah. But um, no, like any place you go to is going to be like that. Um, a lot of it's just sort of a matter of the crowd, I think. You're going to find different um, venues have different kinds of people to go there. You know, I'm a young guy, you know, and I <laughs> love to go out and party when I'm not working. And I tell you, in my city, uh, it is damn near impossible to find a club that is not chock full of niggers. I mean, holy <laughs> smokes. Like dance floors now are yeah. the worst places you can go to. It is absolutely scummy. It is gross. No one dances. You know, they all do the weird, yeah. you know, the the mating rituals that they do and all that jazz. But um, oftentimes, even, like, even, even like, like, have you been to like big DJ shows in your city? You know, the yeah, uh, oh, yeah, sketchy. Oh yeah, like the the best places nowadays that I've learned it, whenever it comes to like electronic music is uh places that they don't advertise publicly are the best places to go to because that's where you have like the diehard like really good crowd electronic people go to performances that might only have like a hundred or less people but those have the absolutely finest of like Aryan electronic listening like stock at those right. joints they're good places but all right i need to okay. go there yeah, I'll take you. Mike. We'll go. Yeah, yeah. We'll go. There you go. I'll come yeah, in yeah. here with a walker. Two step, Mike. You can do it. You, 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 and me too, Mike. Hey, I got bad knees, so we'll be grandpa and grandpa and the young buck Maybe, maybe Sam will come along too. Yeah, uh, yeah. I like electronic music. I guess we'll, <laughs> Rollo's like. <laughs> Rollo, I can't believe these guys. 
<laughs> well, I'll tell you a secret. In 2016, I wanted to go to Boom, Belgium, because that's where Tomorrowland is. It's a four-day uh, sure. electronic concert. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. yeah. Yeah. Bucket list. Bucket list. Go see an electronic show. Yeah. Sam, Rollo, Mike, and Robert. All right. Well, uh, let, let's try to make it happen. I haven't been to one in God, close, to 20, close to two decades. I just feel like I'd be, I felt like I would be too old at, at 32, let alone 42. Uh, but I remember, I remember <laughs> there were, yeah, there were geezers, there were geezers there dancing. And as long as you look like you were having fun, nobody cared. You were, you know, sort of like a character, you know, almost like a mascot, you know, oh, there's, there's the old guy over there <laughs> dancing along. The, uh, what did I see? the five of us rolling in, rolling into a place like that. What a sight that would be. Yeah, and the and the one show I went to, Carl Cox was the headliner. Uh, most people won't recognize that name, but he was a big name in electronica back then. Black guy from England. It was terrible. It was the worst. Um, but I once saw Sasha and Digweed, the Chemical Brothers, and Paul Oakenfold at one show with my then girlfriend, now wife, in Chicago of all places at the United Center. That was an awesome oh. show. Yep. Anyway. Things, things to do. Uh, that is all to bring us down to a close. We got to get out of here uh, before Rolo uh, assassinates. It, Rolo is going to assassinate us before Arian Stallion does. <laughs> <laughs> we <gotta take> this. <laughs> well, uh, uh, Coach, yeah. uh, go ahead, Tim, please. Yes. Before we completely wind this down, I, I do yeah. want to give a, a big thank you to Vatican for helping facilitate the show. And uh, I think we can say his fake name uh, on there. And uh, <laughs> I heard a little snore right there. But uh, thanks to him for uh, making my leather couch. That's for sure. For making sure Mike uh, Mike was all set up properly with a, a good mic and good sound and everything. I, don't have I, I think he's stuff in here. I think Mike's coming through really good. And uh, so special thanks yeah. to, to Vatican, a great guy, funny guy, and a good friend and brother. That's right. Absolutely. He was crucial to bring in the tech support to make the show happen. Thank you, sir, very much. He was welcome yep. on the show, too. He deferred. Yep. All right. Uh, well, uh, I'm going around the horn for final statements. Uh, Rolo, you first this time. Thank you, my friend. Uh, it's my pleasure, and I actually wanted to just give a special thanks to our guests, Mike and Bill and Ted. <laughs> thanks a lot, Rolo. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. All right. Sammy, baby? Yeah, I thought that it was a fascinating conversation with uh, Mike and Robert here. I've spent some time talking to Mike. I consider him a good friend and a brother, and I'm glad we had him on. Amen. Yep. Uh, We've yeah. actually known each other a lot longer than we have recently from the old days. Yes. Yes. I don't think we really ran into each other back back in the old days because you're from way south and I'm from way north. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Same same scene, different uh, area codes or zip codes. Uh, Robert, my friend, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for being willing to do this. Sincerely, I bust your chops a little bit about, you know, uh, possibly backing out at the last minute, but you were damn sincere from, from day one, I believe you. And it was an honor and a privilege to have you on the show. Thank you, coach. I appreciate it. Um, if you don't mind, I would like to just say to all like the young guys listening right now in the audience, um, if you're looking for some community 
and you want to improve your life and you really want to go out there and make a change, um, I would always plug Patriot Front organization. Great guys. They're absolutely wonderful. We do a lot of good things. And um, you can learn a lot from a lot of the people in there. So I would definitely recommend them. If you're a, if you're a Full House listener, go check the org out. Respect and endorsed. I, I once said on the show that I would be damn proud if uh, either of my sons decided to join one day. And the last word is yours, Mike. We're going to give the DJ booth back to Robert. Give him one last chance to pick a crowd pleaser, not some ooga booga <clears throat> electronic trash. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on, my friend. I, it was a damn pleasure to meet you at that show a year or so ago. And uh, glad to have you on the show finally. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Hope to come down and visit you one day. Amen. You got you got space in West Virginia anytime, my friend. And uh, God, I would love to go to Germany with you or just check I'm out. I'm going next year. All right. Still got a passport. We'll see. Keep me posted. All right, Robert. Uh, well, yeah, I'll do my standard thing. Full House 172 was recorded originally on November 19th. It's now November 20th. It's Thanksgiving weekend. Thanks for putting up with us and uh, missing a week here and there as life goes. You know where to find us. Telegram, Gab, drop us a line. Full House show at ProtonMail.com. If you enjoyed this show or any of our other shows, GiveSendGo.com slash Full House, or you can go to our website. And there's a support us tab up there if you should so choose. And our PO box is on there too. If you ever want to send us snail mail, uh, have at it. I'm the only one with access to the PO box, of course. So Robert, the DJ booth is yours. Claim it. I would just ask that you pick something that's remotely appealing. <laughs> to anyone. Oh, people. Yeah. Your whole life. <laughs> All right, so yeah, Blue Man yeah, Group. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> George uh, Mike. Yeah, go, all right, go ahead. Have that. <laughs> no, I'm going to be shooting for a great classic American song that I think really embodies the uh, the spirit that we have in this country. It's uh, American Kids by Kenny Chesney. Mm. Good stuff from the country. Oh, yeah. Amen. All right. We love you, fam. And we'll talk to you next week. Let's see if Robert has ever listened to the end of a full house show. What do we say after we love you, fam? And we'll talk to you next week. See you. Finally. (laughs) (laughs) My nigga. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Quick stop, midnight tea top, Jack and her cherry coke town. Mama and daddy put their roots right here, cause this is where the car broke down. Yellow dog school bus, kicking up red bus, kicking us up by barbed wire fence. MTV on the RCA, no AC in the vents. We were Jesus, Sammy, blue jean baby, born in the USA. Trailer park truck stop, fade a little map dots, New York to LA. We were teenage dreaming, front seat leaning, baby, come give me a kiss. Put me on the cover of the Rolling Stone Uptown, down home, American kids. Growing up in little pink houses, making out on living room couches, blowing that smoke on Saturday night. A little messed up, but we're all alright. Hey!
trying not to get caught, take her home and give her your jacket. Making it to second base by saying you went all the way Monday afternoon at practice. Sister's got a boyfriend, daddy doesn't lie. Now he's sitting out back, 30-30 in his lap in the blue bug zapper life. We were Jesus, same blue jean baby, born in the USA. Trailer park truck stop, made a little map, dots New York to LA. We were teenage dreaming, front seat leaning, baby, come give me a kiss. Put me on the cover of the Rolling Stone, uptown, down home, American kids. Stop, stop.